Uh-oh. Instant potato. Ashbot. Ashbot 2.0. Ashbot malfunctioning. Welcome to another episode of Let's Rewatch, the show where we watch movies that we loved in our youth and find out if they're still any good. I'm Brett. I'm Sam. I'm Ash. And I'm Pat. <laughs> and you're drunk. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not yet. It Not takes yet. like good. three bottles of wine to get Pat drunk. I know. Drunk. It does take, I, it does, you know. Yeah, it's, your your it's blood alcohol content is like well below 0.05 or one, 0.08. One bottle for yeah. each bicep. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. That's like eight feet tall or whatever. So, I mean, there's a there's like a viral picture of look look up what a can of beer looked like in his hand. It looks like a child's toy. <laughs> <laughs> it is right. What beer? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sam has one for her baby right now. She's feeding it beer currently as we speak. Please don't get CPS called on me. Yeah, as I say, we have amazing guests. I'm introduce them. <laughs> but Brett, Sam, something looks different about you too. Did you get haircuts? Yeah, we've tilted up the camera so that you can't see Sam's boobs out. <laughs> but she always has them out when we podcast. <gasps> you have a tiny human. <laughs> yeah, I do. Where did you get that tiny human? I grew it painstakingly. Yep. Sam decided to take her gardening to the next level and grow a human. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, there's a cool comic book series called Farmhand that's about a guy who figures out how to grow body parts and then they can be like transplanted onto people. Ooh. Like hands, fingers, organs. They like, grow so like plants. So there's your next career, and then, Sam. And then they like pluck the the left hands. To, is like, it is that wholesome and adorable or is it horrifying? Because it sounds horrifying. No, it's like, it's like sci-fi horror comic. Oh, it's good. Oh, goodness. It's, good. it's called Farmhand though. Very good. Very, very good. <laughs> All right. Well, Pat, Pat um, who's joining us today? Oh, yeah. We've got two great guests. Uh, we have the hosts of the Spies Like Us podcast. We've got David and Todd. Hey, fellas. Hi. Thanks for having us on. We're really excited for this. Yeah, this should be fun. We've been emailing for like two months. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah I felt, you guys, your, your patience is otherworldly with us i mean you just call sam it a, rudely had to have a baby and right? just throw I off the know. whole schedule <laughs> i mean he did show up 10 days late so <laughs> well congratulations thank you yeah congratulations we'll be scapegoating all of our absences on the baby from here on out yep. look forward to it <laughs> what did you roll for gender <laughs> a two <laughs> where's the lookup table <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, baby Ellis Huxley. He's very sweet and grumpy. So, Todd and David, yeah, you came to us. You were uh, introduced to us from our mutual friend, Johnny Taylor. Woo! Yeah. Awesome dude. Mm-hmm. He's been really helpful to us. So, do you, before, before we jump into the movie we we're going to watch tonight, do you want to give us a, a little uh, quick plug for your show, Spies Like Us? Yeah, we uh, analyze tradecraft in spy films. Uh and we've been doing it for about a year. It's called Spies Like Us Podcast. Make sure to add the podcast if you search, because you might get the film Spies Like Us with Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can find it on any of the podcast apps, or you can just go to our website, spieslikeus.net. All right. It was an exciting day for me when I checked Google search and found that we came up, I think, like 125th 
hit, <laughs> even, <laughs> even Googling Spies Like Us podcast, get 124 of the movie, and then there we are. It's a slow climb to the top of your own name. <laughs> hey, it's a lo- long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. And true to form, you suggested uh, something of a spy movie for us to watch t- today. What's that going to be? We're going to go with uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, mm. which I you know, I know it has to do with a, a, a CIA assassin. I don't really recall exactly how much of a spy movie it is. Um, but we do do, you know, we, we wander off the center of the path. We don't, we don't drive straight down the middle of the road mm-hmm. when it comes to picking our movies. So I thought it would be a good one because, uh, you know, not a hundred percent sure that it's, uh, uh, got a whole lot of tradecraft to talk about. Um, which is what we like to focus on the sh- on on our show. So mm-hmm. I think it's a good pick to uh, uh, run past a fun bunch of people like you guys. So who here has seen this before? Wait, I whoa. have not. Who told you we were fun? Yeah, they're fucking liars. <laughs> by the way. Yeah, I listened. I listened um, to your Muppet Muppet Christmas episode. Oh, that was a good. Oh. That was a good one. How, how'd you like that song? It finally got out of my head, and now you've made me remember it. So oh, yeah. dubstep Christmas. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> which which of you was the one that like owns a a VHS machine specifically oh, to yeah, watch yeah, the one me. tape because mm-hmm. it's the only Ash, yeah. version that has like you know one extra scene in it or something? Yes. You can watch that scene on Disney Plus. You got to back out of the movie. <laughs> yeah, you have to leave the extras. The movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, which I, I am did. The purest. <laughs> I paused the movie, backed out when we watched it, watched the the song, the sad song, and then went back and hit re- and resumed. Um, that's like that's like people pitching VR gaming to me. They're like, "You want to play games, except it's way harder, and there's more stuff that you have to physically wear." No, it's like I'm not going to back out of a movie while I'm watching it to watch. <laughs> not a different until it's part just a movie. contact I can put in my eye. <laughs> Brett would want a brain implant. He won't fuss mm. with contacts. He wants you to like shoot it into his brain mm. and make him a bionic gaming console. You know what shoots images into my brain already? The TV. I, it's it's already there. <laughs> I thought you were going to say your eyes. <laughs> but you don't control what's on the TV with your brain. <laughs> your eyes. <laughs> you know what shoots images into your brain? Your eyes. <laughs> it's not wrong. <laughs> Ah, uh, that would be the perfect tagline for an eye doctor. <laughs> Shoot images into your brain. This is, you know, that's uh, was my number one th- thing when I was w- looking for a life partner is someone who was always technically correct. <laughs> oh, right. It was in our wedding vows. <laughs> David and Todd, have you seen this before? I have. I think I twice. I think well. twice, but it has been a it has been a good long time. I would say I would say 10 years at least. Uh, but yeah, if I if I recall, I saw it in theaters when it came out. Oh, okay. which was twenty oh two, which feels like so long ago. Wow, because it was it was almost wow. twenty years ago, Pat. Oh God, stop it! <laughs> I'm so old. <laughs> um, so like Ash, Brett, Sam, have you guys seen this? No, this no. one, no. Which is surprising because I've like I've seen it physically, it, it like places. But I've never you've seen, had I've it never projected it. into your brain. By your eyes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been aware of it forever. Like I'm aware that this was a movie that exists and it had some ties to possible re- you know reality. But 
Yeah. Um, so let's get into it. It's a possible and- reality. That'll make sense in a second. That'll make sense in a second. So I listen, um, listener, we haven't podcast in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just warning you. <laughs> but this was movie. So yeah, O2, it came out. It was directed by, it was the di- actually the directorial debut of Mr. George Clooney. What? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. It is an adaptation of a book written by Chuck Barris, who was a host of a lot of like 70s and 80s game shows, like the Gong Show was one that he hosted. Yeah, he's, right. he's um, a true he's a true impresario. Uh he created the dating game mm-hmm. and the Gong Show, I think are his two most famous ones, but uh yeah, he's he's a he's a big name. Was big oh, wow. name in game shows yep. in the 70s. And then he wrote a book that was uh ostensibly biographical and it claimed uh, I don't yeah. know do I want to spoil this or not do I say well, this don't I mean, spoil don't spoil what the truth is we'll talk okay. about that okay. after but okay. he he called then, it an unauthorized autobiography oh like yeah. lemony snicket or something <laughs> yeah it was adapt so he wrote the book and it was adapted for the screen by charlie kaufman who wrote the screenplay okay okay interesting so he didn't so charlie kaufman didn't write the movie he wrote the screenplay well, I do. I do feel like we Whoa. can spoil what the major claim that he makes in the book is. I just didn't want sure. to spoil whether or not it turns out to be true or not. So he claimed in this book that this whole time that he was a very famous like hosting television dating shows and game shows and creating, um, which involved a lot of travel, right? Uh, yes, and a lot of access to places nor- us normies can't go. <laughs> he claimed in the book that during that whole time he was living he was also a paid he was a CIA assassin. Wow. Wow. Wait, that who claimed that? Chuck Barris, the guy who hosted oh. the the gong show and, and created the dating game and was hosting these seventies and eighties like shows, talk shows, game shows. Um he wrote a book that he claimed during that whole time he was doing assassinations for the CIA. And you know what? Uh, I'm also a firefighter. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just, uh, I just haven't told anyone about it. But yeah, that, I agree, Ash. That <laughs> totally fits what my like mental canon is for the personality of a game show host. Like, I th- how do you inflated ego? Yeah, how do you pat Sajak like choose a letter and then like not go home and kill people like. <laughs> <laughs> Not go home and yeah, uh, turn into what? What's that horror movie where the dude just murders a bunch of women? I forget what it's called. American Psycho. There's yes, a lot of those. every horror movie, well, yeah. specifically also, also American every horror Psycho. Movie. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna read some for those of so I kind of knew that was the premise. I've never seen the movie, but I knew that. Is that so? That's news to, to the rest of you. That's yes, yes. Okay, I wanted I wanted to say that. I I knew that 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 was the premise, but uh, being that the script is written by Charlie Kaufman, my first thought was that you know he had just ch- taken Chuck Barris's autobiography and written this script that added in the subplot of him being a CIA assassin because that <laughs> oh. seems like that kind of mix of like um, Hollywood and yeah and, and reality and unreality and identity is like so like up Kaufman's alley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was only after I'd seen the movie that I was really surprised that, no, this guy actually did write this book where he claimed that he was working for the CIA. Wow. 
I'm pretty sure if you actually were an assassin for the CIA, you would not come out and write a book and, like, release your identity. (laughs) There are other people who have done that, though. Yeah, there's this guy who wrote, like, a whole book on, like, how to read body language and stuff, who used to be, like, a, a CIA interrogator or whatever. Yeah, but that's different than a CIA assassin. I mean, sure, but like, true. Just imagine, like, th- th- not every person can be like, uh, you know, I'm working for the government, doing important things. Like, some people are like, "Fuck yeah, I work for the CIA. I can't wait to tell everyone about this." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, on the scale of things that I think they've done or tried, a game show host being an operative I, is not that far off. I mean. Look up uh, Project MK Ultra. They they did some weird fucking shit in the CIA. They they were yeah. just throwing darts and doing yeah. weird weird stuff. There is uh, there is a short there... Alan Dulles that and he he was like known because he was the DCI at the time, or I guess it was called the director. But he did all kinds of crazy stuff. He was known for like being really creative and trying to do like he loved it. it like he. He was probably one of the many people that like really, really loved his job and was always trying to do like weird, odd, extraordinary operations. So the whole MK Ultra thing with the LSD and the prostitutes is like like one of many of his like odd ball like kind of uh, ideas. It was a Wait, very so cre- there was, was a, there was a period for the CIA where they were getting very creative. But uh, there's there's a list of covers that the CIA supposedly will never use. Uh, to my knowledge, game show host is not on that list. I like the thought of somebody working in the CIA back then and just being like, "Oh wait, well, they're just they're giving out money for any project." Oh man, I bet LSD gives you mind powers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think uh, didn't didn't Clooney. Clooney was involved in in the men that's who's staring at goats as well. I think yeah, he directed that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I he's think he it, was yeah. the star. Yeah, I think he's trying to tell us something. Could you imagine <laughs> right? being murdered by Alex Trebek though? Where you're like, oh my god, Alex Trebek, <laughs> and then he pulls out a gun right? and shoots you. I mean, you did not answer in the form of a question. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. I mean, it's kind of genius. Because if you survive the assassination attempt and you go and report it, they're not going to fucking believe you. No, they're not. They're trying to kill me. And it's like, okay, weirdo, like, get out of here. Okay. (laughs) The best, the best episode ever of the X-Files, uh, someone's recounting a story about being visited by two men in black and, and we're seeing, uh, the story play out that he's telling. And the two men in black show up and it's, uh, they're played by Alex Trebek and Jesse Ventura. And at that point, the interrogator stops him and says, wait, 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 did you say Alex Trebek? And the guy says, no, I didn't, I didn't say it was Alex Trebek. I said it looked like Alex Trebek. But then they cut back to the, they cut back to the story and you're like, no, that is Alex Trebek. They got to play this guy. That's amazing. So as far as the, the, the cough, the Charlie Kaufman-esque-ness of this, I, I don't know because I got a little trivia factoid here that, um, he's, he's credited as the screenwriter for doing the screenplay, but it says uh, Kaufman felt dissatisfied with the way George Clooney treated his script. He commented, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time working on the script, but Clooney wasn't interested in the things I was interested in. I've moved on and I have no animosity towards him, but it's a film I don't really relate to. 
Interesting. Wow. Huh. There's some heft. I think Kaufman is one of those scriptwriters that uh, hangs out like and wants to be involved during the entire process. He's not yes. the kind that just drops it off and goes I home. mean, isn't that what adaptation is like all about? Right. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I can't imagine him having a hard time relating to the script and the story. Like, it, it's just so relatable. It's, it's the everyman's tale. <laughs> <laughs> but again, in counter to that, Clooney acknowledges he made changes because there were, quote, funky scenes. That would never have gotten the green light for a studio movie. Hmm. Again, I that's love like every Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Movie. Right. <laughs> right. Where, does, well, where does this fit? Where does this fit in the in the Kaufman uh, catalog? I, I mean, was wondering that too. Like, is we this start like we start on? with Mal- we start with Malkovich. We know that. Oh, really? Malkovich was before this. Yeah, Malkovich is the first oh. script As a that he writer. Sold. Let's go back. Being uh, John okay. Malkovich is Charlie Kaufman. Yes. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was his first. He was doing TV stuff. That was his first, like, feature written. Human what nature do you mean, adi- uh-oh? Being John Malkovich is amazing. <laughs> Sam does not like. Right. Oh. I, didn't, I didn't realize adaptation was so early. Because that seems it like really? something. It, it's his, as a writer, it's his third feature. Oh, no. Which, what, adaptation was before Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. So, yeah, he was yeah, already. Yeah, it was the one right before this. Oh, and wow. then Eternal Sunshine. Wait, so adaptation came out and then they hired him to make to write this movie and then they were like, Man, there's weird scenes in here. And See, they that's were surprised. What that's what I'm talking about. Like <laughs> yeah. it's like uh have you uh did you even watch any of my movies before <laughs> yeah, you hired right? me? <laughs> no, that was that was uh, in the early days of Google, somebody was just like, Who does adaptations? <laughs> <laughs> Oh that's, my God. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. Oh wow, he did an episode of Moral Oral. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised, but he was I right mean, on the Dana Carvey show. Wow. wow. Yeah, his interesting. But I'm trying to think if there's any other. I got lots of trivia, but a lot of it is uh maybe post watch stuff. Uh, this, of course, the CIA has denied that Chuck Barris ever worked for them. Right. Um of course big, they would. Big, big fucking surprise there, right? <laughs> like, like, no, they're like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, to- to- yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> normally we don't say shit about shit, but this one time we're going to be like, yeah, sure. Uh, right. <laughs> but I'm going to run down the cast for y'all. Uh, it stars Sam Rockwell as Chuck Barris. Yes. Um, yeah, this I, is I, a I, lot this of names. Is, this is Rockwell's breakout role as well. Is uh, it really? And, oh, uh, Clooney, Clooney, Clooney was the one that wanted him specifically. This script actually went through a lot of hands before it got made, and I don't think I made a list. But uh, Pat, did you notice like the list of names of people that had been considered? Yeah, there were. It so, is oh. a funky ass list. <laughs> it's huge, and also you're right. Clooney was like Clooney was like Rockwell or nobody. I like yeah. it. Can we yeah, call yeah. him that from now on? What I say, Clooney. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like a drink. Clooney for men. Good on him because yeah, because we need Rockwell. Yeah, Clooney was like Rockwell or nobody, but there were a lot of other people, the studio or other people that had it in their hands. Um, I'm looking for it. I had it here. Uh, That Richard Dreyfus is on the list. I Mm -hmm. think. Wow. Wait to play the same role. 
Yeah, yeah. Yes. And and, yeah. and I think too, like some some weird name. I think maybe like Russell Crowe. Like the names make Russell no Crow, sense. Ed Norton, Kevin Spacey. Wow. Ed Norton, I can kind of maybe see. So sure. white guy. The white yeah, guys yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I oh. actually didn't know who Rockwell was yeah. when this when I had seen it. And then years later, when like I figured out Rockwell is like like one of the most amazing actors of all time. Mm-hmm. I went through his IMDb and I was like, holy shit, he was that guy? Uh-huh. Like, that's how long just, I haven't seen this. It's just yeah. like, in in what universe are Richard Dreyfuss and Russell Crowe ever like up for the same role? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> they, I mean, I guess they all have like a certain like... Look? Yeah. Like, you could be any white dude face. Like, and we know who yes. they are because they're famous <laughs> actors, mean, but like... At this point, nothing... <laughs> It's still not the worst. Our very recent episode we did, uh, David and Todd, still has the most crazy batshit. Like, you were considering this person and this person. Like, how, like, is we did Commando. Yes, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Commando. And at one point, Nick Nolte was considered for the role. (laughs) What? Oh, I would take, no, I would totally take that. For Commando? (laughs) Yes, for Commando. (laughs) I I mean, I love Nick Nolte, but I I don't know. I don't know, man. That part was made for just, like, muscle-bound Schwarzenegger. Right. right. I, I don't um, think I can picture. Uh, I would love that. to see the, the the close up of his torso, his ripped torso with the Gatling gun, but it's Nolte's torso. <laughs> 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 um. So also, Drew Barrymore is in this. Michael Sarah yeah, is wow. in this. What? Oh, sorry. Michael Michael? Michael, did you say Michael Sarah? Yes. Oh shit! I didn't know uh, he he plays also, he plays young Chuck, the young Sam Rockwell. Oh. Um, oh. Oh. Wow. Maggie Gyllenhaal is in this. Um, Brad Pitt Maggie. and Matt Damon have cameos. Wow. This feels like Julia Roberts is this in this. This feels like a George Clooney, what? like, knows a lot of people kind of cast George list. Clooney and Friends. Oh, yeah. that's yes. all of George so, Clooney's movies. It's always like, yeah, here's the no, posse. No. <laughs> uh, you, Brett, you are very correct because Julia Roberts and Drew Barrymore worked for scale at $250,000 as a favor to George. And Brad Pitt and Matt Damon did cameos for free. Right. It's like, you know, hey, guys, George is making his first movie. Let's show up. I mean, yeah. I would show up for George Clooney. I mean, right? I would show up for $250,000. I mean, can you believe? Yeah. As the, a favor. Just the generosity As a favor. <laughs> Julia Roberts was on set for, and this is a fact, she was on set for six days for her role. Oh, I mean, wow! She, I'd wow. work for six days for two hundred. I love how the women got the money out of the deal, and the men were like, "Yeah, I'll do it as a favor." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. good for them. Also, don't forget um, that it's uh two thousand and two's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right, that's true. So by today's it's like money, four million dollars today. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> in Bitcoin, um, Dogecoin, so Doge. Dogecoin, yeah. yeah. To the moon. <laughs> I, I I call this movie the the first the beginning of the Rutger Hauer reclamation project. Uh this this mm. is the first of, of his last few roles that he did in his life where I thought, you know, and he had been relegated to direct to video for a very long time. Uh but he mm. shows up uh in a small role in this movie, and then he shows up again in Sin City and also in Chris Nolan's Batman. And uh, oh. I was really happy to see uh, him get some actual, you know, acting opportunities uh, at the end. And I think he showed up for all of them. Well, nice. Mm-hmm. I'll look out for that. Love Rutger Hauer. 
Do we, why, what, yeah, when, when did he stop being mega power Hollywood? Well, I don't think he was ever mega power Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, you know, like he has, he has an enormous amount of movies that, uh, are, I guess, you know, low, kind of low budget sci fi, direct to video kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. Seems to be the majority of his career after Blade mm-hmm. Runner. Listen, he will mm-hmm. always, he, he, he improv one, one of my top like five favorite moments, cinema moments of all time. So he gets, yeah. <laughs> Just. Yeah, I guess it's he gets a pass. He improv that Blade Runner like speech. Yeah, at the there's end when there's he got, a few like, actors who we I guess we've had that thing with where it's just like, what do you mean they're not hugely famous? Oh, I guess it's just that one thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Blade Runner's a weird movie where like almost everyone in it is uh, kind of acting at, or maybe it's just the way it's edited or written. But there's a lot of actors in there that are punching way above their normal weight. In the way that mm-hmm. the final product comes out, mm-hmm. I would say that applies to Daryl Hannah, Rutger Hauer, Sean Young, and <laughs> also also the weird guy with the uh, oh. blood disease or whatever. Yeah, the, the only uh, the other thing I ever, or whatever guy. Yeah, yeah, the only ever thing I ever saw him other than that was in uh, the New Heart show. Mm. He's in Deadwood. He was in Deadwood as a main character, as a decently oh. main character. It goes to show what directing, good directing can do, too. You know, like... You would say that, you professional director. <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I've seen movies with actors that I'm like, I know that these are good Sam actors. or Ash, I think the key is the writing. Oh, the writing. wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's the special effects. So this movie is, um, was... Well received by critics. Roger Ebert liked it. It's got like 79% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's got like 7 out of 10 on IMDb. From the critics, well, positive. But I want to go into the money game. Ka-ching! Money game. Ka-ching. Yeah. Um, so what do we think this thing costs to make? Well, considering it got passed around. <laughs> I'm going to guess pretty it. cheap because yeah. everyone was working for free. I'm going to guess... Seventeen million. Seventeen. Okay. That, that feels low. I feel like they. That's very low. They were like, George, you can make a movie, sure. Uh, and they gave him like thirty-five. I'm guessing forty before anyone else takes it. Mine. <laughs> Sorry, God. guess. I guess we'll let you go last. <laughs> like assholes. Uh, I don't know that I'm pretty good at this. I, I don't know. I like the idea that they just handed him some cash. So I would say maybe thirty. Or 35 sounds good to me. You can't say 35. Brett said 35. Yeah. I'll say 30. There's a lot of us okay. here today. <laughs> Dave, you got to price is right it. Yeah. 30, oh, 34.99. 34. I'll price is right it because I have no fucking clue. So I'll go 34.99. <laughs> you stick with your you stick with your 30. 8 by 30. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you did, Dave, because you were on the nose. $30 million. <gasps> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Total stab in the dark. <laughs> I always, I always found it difficult to find uh, movie budgets. I thought they're usually not. Um, it's it's on IMDb or box office mojo. Box office mojo is a good mojo, uh, yeah. website for them. So let's let's talk. How do you think it did? Uh, we got the USA and worldwide. When did it release in the year? When in the year? How yeah. Sam, we're gonna make me. Uh, all right, gonna make two, you do the to hosting. the Google. 
<laughs> I don't need Google for this. Um, Charlie Kaufman write, writes movies that people don't like until later. So <laughs> it feels like an April movie. December, to me. Nope. December 31st of 20. Okay. So December it's only technically, 31st? yeah, it's only technically an O2 movie. It was on. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> this didn't do well then. No, I'm not predicting. Well, it's not, the, it's not the, the February where movies go to die, but. And but who the fuck on New Year's Eve is going to go see a movie? A lot of people, actually. The other really? 2002 movies and saying, like, and and maybe they knew what was coming in 2003, and they were like, you know, if we're going to have any shot at the Oscar, this has got to be in 2002, so let's just make it happen. Let's just make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this made, like, 22 domestic. Like, didn't make its money back domestically. Total? But then, like, worldwide, it was in the high 60s, maybe 60, 68. Twenty-two sixty-eight. Wait, are we, ta- are we talking opening weekend or no? Gross U.S. Oh. and cumulative oh. worldwide. I don't know. Ten what million <laughs> in both <laughs> uh, domestic. I have no idea, <laughs> but I, I I don't think it. I, I I'm pretty sure. I remember when it came out. I didn't even know about it till my mother and I visited the ancient ruins of Blockbuster and picked it up. <laughs> so uh i'm pretty sure it probably did not do well so i'm just gonna say ted Oof. okay i'm gonna guess sixty-eight thousand total worldwide yeah that, oh. i was gonna say sixty thousand worldwide thousand or sorry million yeah i was quickly <laughs> losing track of what are we guessing even here? more <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I'll I'll pass, but I I do I really have to ask. Like, does this include the advertising budget? I don't know. It, it's okay, the numbers okay, that okay. are on box office. Yeah, they're, they're, and, and they're all projected numbers it's because you are correct. Studios don't actually release their production budgets, yeah. but, but it didn't come with a uh, balance sheet. My thought is, <laughs> yeah, weird time of year. Uh, it came out at at a time when uh, that whole thing about like giving your movie a descriptive name was like didn't return with you know like it has it has a long name and it's written by you know the by charlie kaufman which is he the the he's got fans but they they rent his movies <laughs> so Aww. that's my, that's my guess if i'm if i'm right then then that's why yeah. and if i'm wrong then i i want to know what happened what what was yeah. your guess uh, they they didn't make their money back domestically, and, oh, they, and it was right. like maybe sixty five, sixty eight worldwide. You're you're partially right, Brett. Yeah, rough rough go. Only made uh, sixteen million US. <gasps> Whoa! And, uh, David was close. Barely, barely turned a profit. Thirty three million cumulative worldwide. Yeah, was thirty three. Wow. wow, that's worse than yeah. I thought. And they still let George Clooney. Yo, yeah, yeah, it was George Clooney Joker. Huh? His career must have just died after that. <laughs> well, it's all Kaufman's fault, right? Like you can scapegoat anybody in Hollywood, <laughs> right? Uh, see, they said it made three million dollars, uh, but like, yo, just having like George Clooney here got all of these just huge name actors in, involved, like. That's why they let him keep doing mm-hmm. it. It's like, hey, just stick George Clooney somewhere and he'll bring all of his amazing friends with him and like we'll turn any movie that wouldn't have made any money at all. And we don't into have something to pay least, them. Yeah. At least the men anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, give us some trivias. I mean, a lot of stuff is after. Um there wasn't a ton of crazy stuff. Look for uh lots of like single takes. Um, Ooh, oneers. 
Yeah, a lot of wonders. And uh, I guess, oh, George Clooney's father, Nick Clooney, used to direct television game shows. Oh. And he derived his experience from oh, watching them backstage. Really? Kid. So that, that's an interesting like connection for him and the story. Mm-hmm. It's actually about his dad. <laughs> Wait, does George Clooney work for the FBI? CIA. Oh, the CIA. George Clooney, CIA. he made changes to make the movie more realistic. He's like, no, I know who, I know how these murders actually right. went down. <laughs> uh, I got a piece of trivia. I'm not sure how super interesting it is, but uh, I read that I read that Clooney uh, made a conscious he made a conscious decision going in to not ask Barris if the story was true or not. So, ooh, I, I like I do. that. I think it's a strong decision. I mean, one way or the other. Yeah, it's bold. I think that's cool because then you wanna you wanna believe. Right, like you, you want like the main character believes, and so if the main character believes, it makes sense that the director needs to. Well, if wait, if is I that remember, the plot of if this I movie? remember right, really the movie, happen? I think, and I could be wrong about this, but in my fuzzy memory, I think the movie is a little dreamy and kind of ambiguous. Like I think mm. you end up sitting there wondering if he's if this is really happening or if he's having like a psychotic American Psycho kind of breakdown. Mm. Oh, so it's like 2020, but in a movie. I feel like a lot of his scenes where he's doing CIA stuff are like, there's only one other person in the room, like with him. Like, there's never a scene where Mm. he like, you know, is like going to CIA headquarters and sitting at a big, in a big briefing room, you know, with a lot of people. Like, it's, it's kind of like personal and, and I don't want to say claustrophobic, but. um, Well, I'm just going to put a shot in the dark out there. Todd and I'm just gonna say because he wasn't actually right, right. But what I'm what I'm saying is I think I think uh, I think there's an ambiguity to it that Clooney wanted to consciously maintain. Is my suspicion? Mm. I like That's that. Cool. Yeah, because yeah. well, because if you know it's real, then you're making a documentary, and if you know it's fake, you're making a farce. But if you're if you don't know, then the, like what do you you know? Then you then you got you get to make up your own vision it, it takes i think it would have taken away his vision on it if he knew one way or the other yeah mm-hmm. one of the few things i remembered about the movie uh at the very end it has the guy uh where they're like is it real and he just kind of gives a little like shit-eating giggle to the audience so it's it definitely does play to that little mysterious ambiguity kind of like what the Blair Witch Project made all of its money off of, is it real? You know, type of thing. (laughs) What I I would wonder, which I don't know the answer to, is whether or not Sam Rockwell asked Barris. Uh, But I do know that he trailed Hmm. Barris around for like a solid three weeks, like every day, uh, to, you know, catch all his mannerisms and, and stuff. Help, to help out with the murder. Right. (laughs) (laughs) To help carry the bodies. I was curious. Yeah. Yeah. I did do a little more than we normally do for the show, which is the bare minimum. Um, but I, I, I was Googling, I, I literally at one point Googled, was Chuck Barris actually a CIA assassin? And I read some interviews of people that knew him. I guess he, he was very cheeky about it where he wrote the book and put it out there. And then from that point on, one account of someone who was very close to him said anytime it was ever brought up, he would literally go, I can neither confirm nor deny. That was his only response to that. Yes. This man is really good at marketing because who's going to buy this book? 
you know, right? unless. I guess that's what you get from doing game Just shows. Just the tagline yeah. and unauthorized yeah, like, autobiography. No one wants is to read my real. Yeah. Like, yes. he realized, like, no one really wants to read an autobiography about me. So let's spice it up. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm going to make some money. dad joke sort of thing. Or it's like, I, I'd tell it's, you, but I'd is. have to kill you. I mean, <laughs> if it's all made up, it is, it is ingenious. Cause like we said earlier, like the CIA will never, would never like admit it. Of course, you know, it's the type of thing, it's the type of lie you can make up and then yeah. no one can ever It's not fact-checkable. Yeah. Right? It's like, what are they going to admit? They're like, yeah, totally. We totally orchestrated those those murders of human beings. Like, right? yeah, that was us. Maybe, like, maybe we did it. I mean, nowadays they totally would, but yeah. <laughs> maybe he passed it to the editor without mentioning that it was supposed to be a biography. The editor looked at it, said, "This is decent, but we're gonna have another guy come in and like kind of punch it up." thinking that it was supposed to be a work of fiction and then added all the CIA stuff in <laughs> it. <laughs> so what, what do you think hilarious. was the thing in the book that made them think that he was a murderer? That was like the normal thing, you know? <laughs> the normal thing that they were like, okay, but this character is clearly a murderer. So <laughs> well, I'm gonna look the book up and see if it's like explicit in the book. <clears throat> It sounded like a joke when I said it earlier, but it's the game show host thing. Game show hosts are clearly murderers. Like you just right. can't. You just can't. I mean, look at Alex Trebek's eyes. <laughs> He's gonna fucking murder you. Black eyes, oh. like a doll's eyes, <laughs> like a doll's eyes. <laughs> <sighs> so while Pat looks that up, do we want to get into to everyone's predictions? Predictions and memories. Let's do it. Yes. Sure. Uh, one of the only other scenes I remember, uh, like, like th- there's not a whole lot I remember, but when he's being trained, there's like this drill sergeant teaching all these assassins. And he's like, you could kill a man by hitting him in the neck. And then he hits one of the guys and the guy dies. He's like, fuck. And that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that, those are the only two things I really remember from this film. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was actually pretty funny. Sorry to kill the joke, but I I know that's the show. What do you you guys remember? Well, I'm the only person, I'm the only other person that's seen it. And I did sit down and really kind of go into my memory palace. You know, it's a fun exercise, you know, not something I... Did you discover that you also went to the CIA? You can neither confirm nor deny You're a sleeper agent. And I wrote down specifically, like, the things I remembered, like, in order, and I'll... I think there's like six of them. And I will <laughs> recite them now. Stop me. Stop me when it gets boring. Uh, the very first thing I remembered <gasps> is the ending scene. The climax of the movie is um, it's a, uh, which cup is the poison in kind of lazy Susan trope kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like a, okay. a battle of wits, oh. like from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Princess, yeah. Princess Bride it at the end. Uh, <laughs> I remembered that. <laughs> um, I remembered that the most annoying guy in the movie that you would least suspect of being a secret agent uh, does turn out to be one. Oh, I think that. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Yeah. Just one more, which was the gong show inspiration, which I had kind of wanted to mention when, uh, you know, you keep talking about uh, game show hosts being murderers. 
the scene where he, there's a scene where someone's pitching him an idea and it's a really annoying person. And the person's like rattling on and on and on. And Sa- Sam Rockwell's eyes just kind of glaze over. And then we go into, he just pulls out a gun and shoots the guy in the head. And then <laughs> wow. we snap out of it. The guy's still talking. And it's one of those things where you, you suddenly realize like, oh, that was just in his head. That didn't actually happen. But then we go further mm, into Sam Rockwell's mind, and that turns out to be his inspiration for the gong show. Oh. What? Like, just, you know, just <laughs> nice. pull out a gun and shoot someone. You know, they're they're annoying. They've been talking too long. I'm tired of this. Just fucking shoot them in the head. And then they go even deeper, and then there's a spinning top. Are you guys familiar with the gong show? Because it is a really old show. Some of you guys might not be. I do right. know of it. I've seen yeah. clips yeah. of it. Well, the gong show was the show where they would have, uh, like, different variety acts i think they'd have you know some dancing some singing some comedy uh and they'd have a panel of three judges that would and they were like really bad like um mm-hmm. not not great content and basically the concept of the show was that three judges would try to stick through it as long as possible but when one of them just couldn't take it anymore they would get up from the podium, pick up a big mallet and strike a gong, which is basically like killing the act. <laughs> That's like all of modern, uh, all of the all of the shows that mm-hmm. do that now. You know? Yeah, it was kind of kind of the first, kind of yeah. the first. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like Barris Barris was a real uh, innovator. What's funny about the gong show is like Disney executives, like I like in the Eisner days, they took that and made that a thing behind the scenes where people could would. They would do like three times a year where literally like anyone who worked for the company, no matter what your role is, could pitch something. Wow. But you had like a few seconds and if they didn't like it, they would like bang some, they would, I don't know if it was an actual gong or something. I don't know the, all the particulars, but they literally had like an internal gong show. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, who are the four people? It was uh, Michael Eisner, Roy Disney, Tom Shoemaker. Um, who was the other one? one Probably more. Jeffrey uh, Katzenberg, maybe. This is right before his time. Um, Joe McGowan? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then people would get to pitch, and then they would, like, I don't know if they had a little mini gong or something like that, but it was literally, they would do it three times a year. It's kind of like an open door. You got a few seconds. Didn't matter what your job was. You could come in and pitch something. Wow. (laughs) Because they were that desperate in the 80s. I guess so. (laughs) They really were. All right. Who's who's next on? on Do predictions. Predictions. Like, are we going to, like... I'll go over. I I I think it's gonna be fun. I think I think because Sam Rockwell is always uh, bringing his A game, and the fact that it was you know critically well received makes me think this was a is a is a good. My having never seen it, my re- reaction is this is a good movie that just just didn't land with you know broad mass audiences. Whether marketing wasn't there or the way I mean obviously the release yeah New Year's Eve, um, it just didn't take off but i I think it's going to be an interesting enjoyable watch i i want to like it but i i'm sorry i'm not a kaufman fan i do not like i do not not like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind i do like eternal sunshine i do not like being john malkovich Um, okay do you like adaptation I have not seen adaptation you can ask her everyone that's the one that's the one i that's the one i recommend the highlight the nice. highest. Okay. I agree with you on Malkovich. Really? really? Oh, I love adaptation. Uh, I can't stand adaptation. Uh, uh. Just being John Malkovich, it, it makes me feel icky. 
And yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I didn't appreciate the the feeling it left me with. Yeah. Mm. Um. So I'm I'm hoping that's what I liked about it. <laughs> uh, I like feeling icky. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hoping I like this. It's a really fun concept, and I actually really like George Clooney um, as a director. So I'm going in with optimism, but trepidation. Um, I, that that's all. I don't know anything. It's not else your about turn it. yet, Brett. I was just here to back up Sam's comments <laughs> about. Uh, I also do not like Charlie Kaufman, but that's fine. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I've I've complained about this on the show before. It's a specific thing that's not Charlie Kaufman specific, but it's when you can feel how clever the writer thinks they're being at the moment. Uh, and mm-hmm. a lot of his movies have that. Like I would, I love Eternal Sunshine, uh, and it's it's a movie I like because I saw it at an impressionable time. Uh, but I don't think I'd like it if I saw it for the first time today. Uh, and I really, yeah, like I would like it if I watched it right now, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't like it if I watched it for the first time right now. Uh, but he didn't like he he didn't write this movie because it's it's a you know it's a it's based on a book with stories that someone else made up. So that's well, you know he did a, write taking a movie. stance right there, are we? But he, but he didn't <laughs> write the story. He wrote how the story g- goes on the screen. I, I agree. You know? I meant the made up part where you said yeah. a story with somebody else. <laughs> uh, so so that's a big question mark. Like, it, it is the thing that I wouldn't like about Charlie Kaufman even in this? Maybe not. Uh, the other thing, George Clooney, uh, like his movies, uh, whether he's in them or or directing them, are really hit and miss because uh sometimes it's like a cool movie with an all-star cast and sometimes it's just like a fuck around with an all-star cast and so i don't know what we're getting here Um, take the formula the enemy of my enemy is my friend and apply it to you don't like charlie kaufman charlie kaufman didn't like this film ergo yeah yeah and so that's it's a real big question mark, uh, and that's unusual for me going into a movie. I, I, I feel like I have a stronger stance on if I'm going to like it or not going in, but there's too many like mixed up factors with this one. So I'm genuinely curious. So many curious. variables. Yeah. Mm. Can I throw an- can I throw another uh, curveball in the mix here? Please. Um, uh, not to you know uh, go too long, but just quickly, like, do we like the Coen Brothers or do we not like the Coen Brothers? Yeah. I, yeah. Generally, yes. For the most part. Yeah. Okay. Uh, keep in mind, this is something I, I did catch in a review. Uh, keep in mind that O oh Brother Where Art Thou was 2000. So that was wow. the most recent, the most recent film that Clooney had acted in that kind of inspired him to say, I want to direct was working with the Coen brothers. Interesting. So that's going to be something to look out for of, you know, whether or not we see him trying to like kind of Cohen this out. That's my favorite Coen Brothers movie, too. Me, too. So this movie is going to be, like, really dry comedy and super fucked up stuff? Uh, absolutely. Well, we already know Coen. it's super fucked up. Like, he's going <laughs> to go assassinate people. Like, I'm kind of... Su- that's the thing that concerns me, I think. is So I haven't seen this movie at all. I, I think I've only ever heard the name of the film. I literally knew nothing about it. I didn't know that it was a Charlie Kaufman f- movie. I didn't know all these people were in it. I didn't know George Clooney directed it. 
uh, and I didn't know the plot. But now that I know the plot, I'm concerned that this movie isn't going to hold up for gun reasons. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah. Like for so, like last night. My boyfriend and I watched Nobody, which is a brand new movie. Oh, yeah. How's Odenkirk um, doing? It was good. I would be very interested to hear your guys' opinion. I feel like it has the same problem that Boondock Saints has. Oh, okay. Where I was like, this dude is murdering people because he wants to murder people. Because he enjoys it. And it is celebrated, and they are having a fucking good time doing it. And that's the line that's, like, crossed where I'm like, this doesn't feel good. The trailer gave off those vibes, too. It was like, mediocre white man has had enough. And like, (laughs) boy, that's certainly not a reality that I live in. I mean, Hollywood's going to make that movie every year, right? We got Joker, (laughs) you know, last year. But, like, the Joker's the bad guy in this movie he's the good guy and it's right. kind in his, of gross. in that movie though did you, did you see joker no I he was haven't. kind of the good guy in that movie too i mean in his mind he was yeah I, yeah that movie was more about mental health than about celebrating murder and like when right. the the social um programs were shut down and he wasn't getting his meds is when he kind of started going off the rock there was i think that was more social commentary more than those films we get every year where it's like one man stands up for his town kills a bunch of people you know for sure yeah yeah. but here's the thing those movies that you guys you guys are talking about this is different than those movies so like in in my opinion, John Wick and this movie have completely different vibes because in John Wick, he is going out for revenge. He doesn't want to have to engage, but he has to because these people are coming after him, you know, or in mm-hmm. other other situations. It's like, well, people are like, you know, going to kill their family. That's not the situation in this movie. Okay. Is, is that not like, the most American morality that it's mass murder is okay if it's to avenge your dog? Right. <laughs> Which is still problematic, but I'm just saying in this movie, it's not a situation where somebody came after him and he felt the need to like defend his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there there is it, a scene kind of like that, but the way it plays out, like oh. he, he's smart enough to know that it's not a situation where he needed to do something. And then he then goes out and pokes pokes the bear, basically, for lack of a better description. It's, re- it's, it's what I call revenge porn. But which, there's nothing to do revenge. I Come really on. don't like it. Fight me, you son of a bitch. Fight me, <laughs> is bear. It more like, just saying, like, though. Is it one of those? He's literally nothing. I, he's, not re- he's not revenging anything. He goes out. And he fucks with people that he shouldn't have fucked with because he just wants to fuck with people. Is it a, is it a, I'm tired of the things that are wrong with society, so I'm going to get rid of them by killing them? It's not even that? No, it's literally, I just haven't fucked anyone up in so long. I really want to do that. 
It's <laughs> it's a it's a edge lord movie is what it is. Yes. Wow. And it's really really and then at the end it shows, you know, like him shooting people and he's having the time of his life and I was just like this is really not okay. Are we reviewing this other movie you saw? Well, the point I'm making is on it. The point I'm making is it's I'm not too concerned. late. We could all we could all go watch that movie instead. <laughs> <laughs> the point I'm making is I'm concerned Considering, like, everything you've said about how it's some game show guy who clearly was fantasizing about this other life that he wasn't living, I'm concerned that that is the same tone that this movie is going to have. That it's, like, murdering people for fun and enjoyment and not for, like, moral reasons. You know what I mean? You're worried that it's going to be a misanthropic film. Uh-huh. You're kind of saying like, oh, this poor guy bored of his game show life has to go kill people. Yeah, I see what exactly. you mean. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, mean- it's like fantasy. You know, the same thing you were talking about earlier, Todd, where you're like, oh, this there's the scene where he gets the inspiration for the gong show because he's fantasizing about shooting someone mm-hmm. who's right, talking right, too right. long. Like, I'm really concerned this movie is not going to hold up because it's going to have shit like that where it's like, whoa. This went too far, and there, there's really no, like, pretend moral... There's not even a dead dog to make this okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, I, I, I totally get that, and I feel like the, the thing that backs it up even more is that... Uh, I don't know. I was a kid when this came out, basically, and... but. It seemed like there was a time when the CIA was um, not as publicly just straight up evil as we perceive it to be these days. Uh, mm. And that time was back then. <laughs> and like, it's even if it doesn't come across in the way that you've described, I think it'll come across in the way of like, CIA really probably shouldn't be sending people around the world to kill people randomly either. Uh so this this is all good points about the potential yeah. problematic elements I'm, of this film. I'm I'm very curious to know what's going to happen here. Oh, <laughs> uh, Pat is dying. No, I'm just stuck because Brett said Edge Lord, and then the phrase Edging Lord came into my mind. Like, what was it? <laughs> and then I started thinking, like, wait, isn't Edging Lord basically the opposite? Because an Edge Lord is trying to upset you. But an edging lord is trying to make you feel pretty good, not too good, because you don't want to go forever. over the edge. <laughs> but pretty good. <laughs> I'm glad that's what you took out of my thoughtful. <laughs> it's, uh, if you haven't watched too much of our D and D game, it's just anytime anyone says anything with edge in it, Pat just dies. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to happen a lot in a D&D game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we fall face first into innuendo too often on that show. Right. <laughs> face first, huh? Yeah. I mean, I didn't say the, the clip where you had to vamp and talk about what constitutes a hot dog should be in the should be enshrined. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'll cut that one out. I'll, I'll tack it onto the show at the end. I'll predict that I'm going to be fairly down the middle, meh, like maybe like a six out of ten and Wait, i'm just gonna base this movie and you're <laughs> predicting I, know, you. I, I know but but you want to you you know i think your rule that i heard was like something you haven't seen in 10 years 
And since I know, since, and I'm just logicking this out a bit, uh, even though, like, I know that I'm going to enjoy the cast. I know that. I know I'm going to love Rockwell. Uh, but logicking it out, if I saw it in theaters in 2002, didn't feel the need to come back to it again until sometime mm. around 2010, you know, is when I think I watched it again on video. And then it hasn't really, like, crossed my mind or been thought about by me. In but you the- did watch it again. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> but so maybe this is a movie that I I would like. Maybe it's possible this is a movie that I would like to see about every ten years or so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what that's where I logic it out to. Like I'm probably going to be like a six or a seven. Like clearly I liked it enough to come back to it, but clearly I don't love it enough to buy the DVD. Mm. Yeah. So a solid six. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I'm on board uh, with uh, Todd here that um, I think the cast is going to make me really excited. I do enjoy dark humor, but I don't remember thinking it was like the funniest thing I've ever seen. So, but I I think I'm more going to be excited to go back and one, see Sam Rockwell again. Because like I said, when I first seen it, he wasn't Sam Rockwell then. So Mm -hmm. going back and being the witness, like the beginnings of like such an amazing actor, I think so, I, I, I mean, I don't know if I could give a, a rating number on it right now, but I, I think I'm with Todd on, I'm excited to go back and watch these actors play, play these parts again, is, is what yeah, I'm looking I, forward I, to. I have a feeling, I have a feeling David and I are going to really respond very similarly to this film. Mm. As opposed to I, some films I could look at and say like, oh, I'm going to love this one and Dave's going to hate it. You know, there are films like that. But I think this one is going to be, knowing Dave's tastes in film uh, as well as I do, I think no matter what happens, he and I are probably going to come out the other end of the tunnel, uh, you know, agreeing in full with each other. Holding hands. just. <laughs> I was, I mean, I was going to say holding hands, but I wanted to let you have the honor. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, we're going to pause the recording here and go watch Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, and we'll see you when we get back. Hit a hammer. What is it? It's like the hammer song, right? No. If I had a hammer... I don't know. I've never even heard of this song before, and they made it really? seem like a big fucking deal. Really? Park. No. You've never heard of it's if I had a hammer? No. Yeah, that's like an American folk song or something. Yeah. Is it a that folk was... song? Is it yeah. a folk song oh, if yeah, Chuck yeah, yeah. Barris Absolutely. wrote it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, this land is your land, like in that realm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, so like it that. wasn't the song that he wrote. I assumed it was the song that he wrote the whole no. time. No. No. It's the first joke I remember from Ellen DeGeneres back when she was a stand-up. Uh, she said, you know that song? If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the evening. And she's like, you know, and I went and got a hammer. And, you know, I found out, like, you don't actually do as much hammering as you thought you would. <laughs> I think it's a okay, metaphor for his dick. <laughs> we're back. There you go. We're back. And Sam, we're back. everything. Uh-huh. Take control. Yeah. Everything True. is a metaphor <laughs> for <a> dick. <laughs> Pat, Man. get in here. And now and she has a, a TV show. <laughs> hammer jokes, guys. Hammer time. Hammer time. That's a good name for like a variety porn show. Okay, okay. Before we <laughs> yes. before we get too deep into it, 
I was bad. not I see what you did there. Oh man, I really didn't, but wow. <laughs> I did. I was not expecting Rusty Venture to show oh. up in this film. Oh goodness. <laughs> who's that? Yeah, who's oh, that? Jimmy, I know the character, but the yeah, the voice of Rusty Venture. Yeah, J- the guy, he's it's one scene. He's the guy who came and told him his the shows show are getting canceled. canceled. That's James Urbaniak. That's Rusty Venture. Who's Rusty Venture? From the Venture Brothers. From the Venture Brothers. I didn't know his name was Rusty. Well, that joke went over real well. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) I got it. Thank you. Thank you, David. We've got that immortalized forever in audio. Spread to the masses. Ash, you're going to be famous for that one. Well, you know what? It was Whoosh. better than a fucking hammer joke, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. That's what we should have done. Is an MC Hammer song. <laughs> as far as someone just showing up for one scene, I'm not sure if the FCC guy is the, the same guy I'm thinking of from uh, Scrubs. But oh Rick, no, but Dr. I no. don't think it was. No, but it's not John I C. McGinley. But I've seen thinking. that okay. dude and stuff. Very similar, I, I, though. I can see the yeah, I can see the right. comparison for sure. I want to. I really want to go on record saying like that might be like one of my favorite thirty seconds of acting ever <laughs> of comedic acting. Like the micro expressions. I made Dave rewind it. It was and, unbelievable. And we, we watched, watched it twice. three times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, three times. Yeah, we did. That's right. We watched it three times. There's it was unbelievable. so oh, much going on on that man's face. Yes. <laughs> it's I, it was it was a real treat. Yeah, yeah, it was like they somebody didn't tell him what movie he was in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He thought he was in a full metal jacket or something. <laughs> that did have a full metal jacket feel to it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it did. But that's also kind of a Coen Brothers thing where you bring in some fucking like person that like logically fits the narrative, but is so goddamned weird <laughs> to yeah. see on screen to focus on. But everything they're doing is actually like, uh, you know, like, perfectly logically fits the narrative they're not just like dropped in to just be a weirdo they're just really zooming in on a very weird aspect of right yeah i wanted wanted to see more of him (laughs) no just no just that one that one that one 30 second just give him that he must have worked so hard (laughs) i hope he got a, a decent chunk of the of the pay for this for his like few scenes I mean, I hope unless unless that's how he is in real life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Just played himself. I oh, did laugh man. out loud though at the reveal of who the uh, the secret spy was. Uh, I knew you would. I teased yes. that in the pre thing, right? That was great. Yes. God yeah. damn. Oh right. <laughs> I'd forgotten dude. about it when I was watching the movie. I'd forgotten you said that, Todd. And then and then it happened. And I was like, oh oh, that's the thing. That guy. Oh shit. No way. Yeah, totally didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> although i do I, th- I feel like um there's a missing scene in there that i would have appreciated which is the uh the flashback montage of whatever horrific murders he was doing while they were yes over there you know yes yeah. and the uh, so the girl was in on it too like yeah, the yeah. Wow. yeah that's the best part because you see her first yeah know? and i was like uh-huh. wait that's she was the, the 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 lady on the dating game and then he shows up and you're like oh my god they were both in it and uh, like, 
Yeah, right. Right. And then they're kissing. And then they're kissing, which you know, yeah. in in our yeah. show, we 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 so like great. to flag like good and bad tradecraft. And even though like this element, like it's very fantastical and beggars belief. Uh, but we're both gonna give massive spy points to if you if you can accept that they were KGB infiltrators then mm-hmm. their performance as people that did not know each other and did not like each other yeah. was right? absolutely <laughs> so brilliant. Yeah, That was very good. I do <laughs> love that shot of like, you have Matt Damon and fucking Brad Pitt and they're like, I can't believe she keeps picking this one dude. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it even the more hilarious. Oh, but his answers are so fucking good, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was so, I was like, what is happening? Yeah, and the best part, too, of all of that, like, how they, how she picked him, even though he had, like, the worst answers, like, uh, the rewards were like, you're going to West Berlin! And that couple was, when they, they were excited and then they realized what? Like, exactly, yeah. Wait a second. (laughs) Oh, man. I, okay, I'm curious, did, have any of you actually seen the the dating game or the what was it the newlywed I've seen show the dating game and the newlywed show yeah me too well, I saw the other one in the eighties when I was like really young the love connection I think oh, is what it was okay. called which was similar yeah but I don't think I've ever seen the dating game yeah I was born I, I think I'm the oldest person here I was born in seventy one so. I remember whoa, seeing. Whoa, get out of here, man! I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> just kidding. All right, would would you believe seventy two? Uh, <laughs> I remember. I remember seeing these shows, you know, in my childhood, but they did, they had no interest to me. Mm. You know, like. Yeah, I don't know why I've seen both of them, Nick and I night. feel like well, I remember watching I them like, multiple times. Were they on like Nick at Night or yeah. something? Okay, that. But I also think they're 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 such significant cultural touchstones that yes. I don't think I've ever like watched an episode. But I'm very aware of like the structure, the tropes, the references of it because it is something that has been referenced, and mm-hmm. you've seen clips of it or things parodying and, it or lampooning it. Yeah. Um, so often over the past 40 years right these these shows are so actually like deeply weird mm-hmm. and and shocking i mean they're <laughs> kind of like the newlywed show like if you haven't like that was only like a super small taste of it but like they would i was explaining it to my boyfriend because he'd never seen it either i was like it's this show where they literally take people who have just gotten married and they ask either one like all these questions about themselves in private, like away from the other one. Uh-huh, and right. then they yeah, stick yeah. them together and ask them like, what's what's so-and-so's favorite color? And the other person has to get it right. And it's so shocking. Like you watch the show and literally like most of the time they get the answers wrong and you can see these people's newly formed marriage dissolving on TV. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Like, the shows the shows are kind of kind of misanthropic. They're kind of they're they're not feel good shows and I think that's why they they like resonate harder through the, you know, historosphere of the internet and become mm-hmm. tropes is because they were so weird like 
who, you know, how many jokes have you heard about, like, you know, what the $40,000 pyramid or whatever? Yeah. Like, none. But, like, mm. Dating Game and Gong Show and Newlyweds Game, those are, like, rich fodder for comedy. Oh, yeah. For, for going back and reinvestigating and, and retooling into... And that was a really big theme with those, is how much those shows were kind of degradated or degrading, uh, like, humanity. Because mm-hmm. it's like, like, you're not really showing the darkness of humanity you're literally creating darkness through like this weird awkward moments on it like it like i i really liked how they played that in with the story as, as well right. as the parallel of the secret life of the assassin mm-hmm. and i'm cu- i'm really curious to hear what the gr- what the crew what the let's rewatch crew thinks about like how you know did did that work for you like these kind of uh pre Jerry Springer kind of, you know, uh, making humans look stupid and, and, and foolish and flawed kind of thing. Did, did that work? Did that work for you in That's the very s- much a, uh, uh, the viewership of those shows is like a measurement of how many bitter people there are in the country at any given time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the newlywed show in particular, even when I was younger, it was just like, I don't think they like weddings very much. I don't think they like this, this whole thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's very much a, like, why'd you get married, idiots? The show, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but, but, but Brett, I felt like, like in, in the late scene in the movie when they, when they're playing, uh, you know, uh, if I had a hammer for real, you know, mm-hmm. cause earlier in the movie they'd spoofed it and then later they're, they're, you know, full throating, uh, fully involved, like Whoa, heartfelt, like this is the deep song. Deep throating it. <laughs> right. Deep throating the hammers. <laughs> Which side are they starting from? Am I right? But I thought, I, I thought that was maybe like supposed to show the disconnect between his audience, himself, and his audience. I, I think the audience mm-hmm. is really not all that bad. Like they, they're just here that to enjoy themselves. They're just here for a quick little laugh. They're not here. They're not. Um, I don't know. They're not exactly buying. They're buying what he's selling, but not on the same level. Mm. I think is that's, what they were trying to I feel say like that's, in that that's scene. That's a whole philosophical discussion about <laughs> that the the entire genre of reality TV. That there's, I'm certain yeah. there's a hard line in the sand. Uh, for well, most I was going to say like this this in comparison to a reality TV today. This feels incredibly tame, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> this does not feel like like all these articles being like he's a scourge on the entertainment and 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 they were like making it into this big thing. And I'm just like, flash forward today, where you have fucking Jersey Shore, <laughs> which I think is way which worse. Exist, but what does exist is. No, you're absolutely right, Ash. It's a travesty what they put on TV these days. Like, Floribama Shore, which, at last night of us recording Pat. this, Amy's cousin, younger cousin, came oh, to visit no. the house in oh, Montana. No. Stop. And Gus Stop. promised Amy Stop. he wouldn't sleep with her, and they pinky swore, and he did it anyway. What a oh, dick. My Bastard. Oh, my God. How dare this you? This is what I'm talking about. I thought you were going to say married at first sight, which oh, is a no, real show. No, Floribama Shore is, uh, my wife and I is, like, joint trash reality tv show 
uh, and the one we both enjoy a lot. It's so bad, but so entertaining. <laughs> I will say, as someone who like has worked in reality TV, uh, ouch, and and <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, you tell us uh, it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I can go on that rant again, but I I did find what was super interesting was like seeing behind the scenes the process of like him coming up with a show and like pitching a show and developing a show because I've seen that, you know, like I've seen I've worked on a reality TV show while the director producer were like coming up with a new show idea and like trying to pitch it and everything and it's like and they were telling me about like pitching to like discovery and all this shit and so it was like really interesting to see like the behind the scenes of that. But like I think my problematic concern from the beginning was like spot on and like weirdly intertwined how like he would have these really fucked up like visions of shooting this woman playing a guitar mm-hmm. and that yeah, inspired this is, a, 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 this is this is specifically what I wanted to ask you, like like how that landed with you. I yeah, I think I think it's really, I mean, I think he's a psychopath, right? Like, I don't know how you walk away from this movie not thinking that that dude's well, a fucking psychopath. I think George Clooney's character yeah. pretty much says it. Like, that's the okay. profile. It's like, you fit the profile. He kept telling me you fit the profile, yeah. and then he lays it out for him. He's like, yeah, you're not it. right. And that's why we picked you. I actually wanted to touch on what Ash was saying about enjoying watching the process of him pitching these shows. Uh a, like just real quick, just trying to like get this out of my head. Uh, this was far funnier than I remember, and um, uh, you know I had said in the first part that I was like I don't remember it being the funniest thing I've ever seen. This was hilarious, uh, but I I, I uh, tr- it triggered a memory of me watching it with the moms and like why I might have blocked out the humor. Like I I grew up around the industry uh, and. Um, I forgot how much of a douche the main character is. And like, and like, I think, well, first of all, I'm going to bet that this is definitely not true. Unless this is some long game ploy decoy head game <laughs> trick that like, we're just going to go so extravagant with the assassination. No one will believe it, but there might've been something else and recover. Anyway, but I think like the, the, the interesting thing is like, there's the front side of you know, um, you know, entertainment business that the audience sees that's fun and haha, and you know the the dream of the life of like people that come to like LA to like be a part of where mm-hmm. it's like yeah, I'm like flashing around on this like you know I'm I'm making it I'm making it big I, you know and then there's the dark side which is the business and I feel that there's like. Uh, a big allegory going on with the assassin side of him that that's the business side of Hollywood. And so I'm going to bet that this is not true. Yeah. Yeah. What if it was just a metaphor for the business side and he, he thought he was making like really clever social commentary and everyone took him seriously. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, And then he just like being a brilliant game show marketer played it off really well, you know, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) to sell the story. But like, you know, there's that line when they killed his babies and he's like, don't they have any humanity or whatever? Meanwhile, he's like murdering people as an assassin, you know? So it's, 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 I, I, I really think that that assassin life of him is, is kind of like a, 
like you said, a big metaphor for the the business side of the entertainment industry. He's he's a man. He's a man that is desperate to make a mark and to be taken seriously, or at least to to have attention paid to him. Yeah, like he really craves the spotlight. And yeah. so both as a character in the movie and as, you know, Chuck Barris in reality, you know, writing this autobiography, I, I, I totally see it. And, you know, and also like, you know, he's got that creative spark clearly as, as the character to, to do something fucking weird, like write this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, yeah. you, he there's one thing you can't box. say about him. You know, he's, he's the guy that thinks outside the box. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think you also, in the beginning, Todd, you said how, like, it's very dreamlike. Like, there's a lot of, like, film, like, shot choices and filmmaking choices that make it feel really dreamlike. Like, the split, the way they did the split screen phone call where you thought it it's was a, a split highly screen. directed that film. Was, that yeah. was a very fun shot. That was so one in cool. Yeah. And then, like, the oneers, uh, like, specifically the NBC page one was, like, really, yeah, yeah, really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. And then right, that I, sets thought, you up. I thought Drew Barrymore wasn't real until the uh, Julia Roberts said, hi, Penny. But the, I, the entire, up until that point in the film, I was like, this chick is a figment of his imagination. This <laughs> oh, is no the perfect else, like, dream with her. girl. Right. Nobody oh, else ever is in the same scene with them together. They're always by themselves. And then the conversation with Julia Roberts, she never looks at her until the very end. She says, hi, Penny, and then leaves. But like, up until that point, you could totally assume that this is a fake, like, figment of his imagination. I mean, Ash. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> what I want to talk about too is that there's uh, there's no scenes uh, without Barris in the film. I, I don't know if there's a word for this, but like it's mm. um, like no characters ever interact outside of his line of sight. Every yeah, scene so it's is when with you're, him. You're and- only seeing it through the hero's eyes, and you're not. You're never like cut away to the villains, you know. <laughs> and all and and almost every scene is with just him and one other person, which, which gives you like, you can like start getting into these things. Like I didn't, I never thought of the idea that Penny wasn't real, but I love that. I yeah. I really, I really yeah, enjoyed wondering great. if the CIA people weren't real because right. again, like well, he never it, gets, it makes everything you question everything, right? Like when you're like, well, wait a minute, what's real and what is it? You know? Right. Yeah. He's never, there's never a scene where him and George Clooney and another person are together. There's mm-hmm. never a scene where, Ju- well, right. except the one you just mentioned, Ex- the brush pat with, I was going to say with Julia Roberts, except the one you just mentioned where Penny, like, you know, brushes past through that. And mm-hmm. as far as the spy people, there's only one scene and that's when he's in the car with, uh, I guess George Clooney's boss or whatever. And right. You know, mm-hmm. with the microfilm, you want it, you can reach up my ass, <laughs> but if you, and they, they did a couple of things with like the, the dream feel of it with, uh, a little bit. I was kind of like your, your final cut is showing, uh, because they did like some really heavy color grading on the Hollywood oh, yeah. scenes where like the reds were like super red. Uh, but then like when he switched over I think to those the, were real the murdering documentary, those were real interviews. Were they? I think, 
those were real interviews. And anytime yeah. we saw a shot of the show on a TV and it was black and white, that was real footage of yeah. the real show. Oh, yeah. Like, Correct. that was the real, Correct. yeah, from the new... No, I, new but I think those interviews were real interviews, but too. But I was, I was thinking they about, were. like, the like the color throughout the film. Like, his... It, I feel like mm-hmm. they put the uh, um, I see what, what they call the next gen filter on his murder stuff. Like it didn't have that right. fantasy color grading, so it's like almost like mm-hmm. his Hollywood adventures were fake, and the murder was re- the only real part. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the other way around. You were gonna say something, Sam. What were you gonna say? Uh, I was just gonna say that um, th- I think both of the uh, ladies were not real. Right, because they're like his high uh, fantasy of what a woman should be, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, especially Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts is just drenched in uh, noir mystique. Yeah. yeah. She, so she's her ever-changing first... hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, especially right. with that first scene with her, it was very noir, you know. Uh, and, and I think I think you hit something there where it's it's like they're probably just especially since this is a Kaufman script and he's always dealing with like the writer or the male fantasy. I think, I think you hit something there with that. <gasps> because, like, I okay. 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 So Sam, I love it. So both women are not real, which further like pulls this like delusion that the spy cop thing isn't real, but the scene with the swimming pool and George Clooney and which I, I was Bleeding like, to death? Yeah. Which I, loved. I was like, he shot him, but we didn't see it. But he shot him. The because, fact like, we didn't see it is was something I always really loved. I think when David and I watched it just now, actually, his I think David had a theory that like George Clooney was already dead and dying. So that's what I that's think what I you thought. were supposed to think. But yeah. then they cut to that like wide shot at the end, and there's like a lot of blood. And not just a little, like, we cut from, like, just a little bit to all of a sudden, like, the pool is well, full of blood. And he's holding the gun pointed right at him. And it makes you think, like, this dude's so delusional that he's, like, rewriting, like, things in his head. And I think he didn't want to deal with the fact that he actually was the one that killed him. And Because why wouldn't George Clooney tell him who killed him? Why wouldn't that be the first thing that George, came out of his know, mouth? No, no, he George Clooney doesn't know because he, I'm going to counter that and saying I think it's cool. Okay. I think it's a cool theory, but for two things, one is Julia Roberts. I think you're cool, but you're wrong. <laughs> <let's> <laughs> no, no, no. I think it is a cool theory. You can be I'm cool, actually, right? Is, you can't a lot be of stuff both. I'm approaching it. it, it I want to go get all this. Like, let's get fucking weird and wild and and, and psychoanalyze uh-huh. it. I kind of want to have a mini decide discussion of this as a straight spy thriller. And how to, if you liked it like that, we'll get there. But I want to make sure everyone covers whatever points they want. But that scene, because I enjoyed that. I liked that scene a lot. Okay. Um, and I like your theory, but two things. One is later, Julie Roberts admits, she says she contracted that one out for Bird. He's Bird. Oh, so it wasn't Julie okay. Roberts. She had, she had someone else, a third party kill Clooney. And I love his line. It's just, I, I really love the line where when he's like, how do I know you're not the mole? And he goes, you're a smart boy. You'll figure it out. And then, yeah. and then, then, then it reveals he's bleeding. It's like, like mm-hmm. how do I know you're not the mole? It's like, because I'm here bleeding to death. That's how you know I'm not the mole. Uh, right. It was how I took that. Yeah. Got that, it. That was, okay. that was rough. That, you know, I, that line was, uh, that, that like hits so hard because you get the line and then you see him dying. It was like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Uh, but, so he he'd already been shot or stabbed or whatever, 
and and he's he he's got his like, period. Oh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly though, a little Sorry. bit of blood and water. Is that really, not, how it works? Does it really leak down your listen? Pant it's leg? like fucking Mount Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> Mount Rushmore? Ah, that's the wrong. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, wrong. Wrong mountain. Mount, wrong mountain. I think you're well, thinking Vesuvius. No, There's uh, multiple heads. The Lincoln Park gets <laughs> nosebleeds all the time. Little known yeah. fact about Ra- yeah. Mount Rushmore: the Lincoln gets nosebleeds all the time. It's just really dry. Is that true? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Ash, Sam, I, I do did think it. that I is a very the interesting to periods. <laughs> Sorry. A lot can uh, happen in 30 seconds. Uh, we, <laughs> yes. we came to the conclusion that George Clooney's heavy flow is what killed him. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to fill you in. That uh, finally, finally, we've had the ultimate feminist discussion on the podcast. <laughs> I, I don't know Certainly, there can be no conversation feminist. more feminist. Yeah. One of my favorite podcasts is uh, the Bechdel cast where they talk about, like, they specifically talk about the role of women in movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear their take on this one, especially in regards to the Penny character, because <sighs> she's simultaneously uh, really ditzy. And, you know, they they constantly hammer on this joke of her mispronouncing words, uh, which is mm. always a joke that I love. Like, you know, in female or male characters, I especially like it with mafia guys. Any movie where, like, you know, a mafia guy, like, thinks he, like, kind of is is a little more educated than he really is. Uh, you know, well, that's she, like most she has, mafia movies then. <laughs> she has that, that kind of feel. Uh, but simultaneously, she's very, I mean, she's very wise and, and she's, like, the person that he should be, like, listening to. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah, string I mean, that's it's a, string away from Penny. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Feminist thoughts on that? Anybody? Oh, that's she's the Charlie horrible. Kaufman woman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's it's he does it's, not write women well. Women are beautiful sex objects for his men in his movies, and I think he's a sexist prick. <laughs> well, it's either <laughs> they either exist as just a sex object or like strictly there to be the tool by which he recognizes his errors like they don't have Mm -hmm. agency they were both yeah so that's that's julia roberts and drew barrymore drew barrymore is like the 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 dream like you know uh stable housewife and then julia roberts is the mystique you know fantasy you know like no that's a good point like uh Mm -hmm. and, and kaufman is known for a lot especially if you've ever seen synecdoche new york where Mm-mm. it's just like all the women are just there and it's just the writer's mind in his own little universe, you know, and, and women are just there either to support him or be his like, you know, spicy delight, you know, like, uh, yeah. Did I, you yeah. watch, uh, yeah, Anomalisa? that's on my resume actually. Spicy <laughs> delight. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hey. Anomalisa was exactly the same way though. Oh like, no, really? But like literally, because oh, no. the, the plot of Anomalisa is, uh, it's you know, angsty white older dude, uh, like puppet, <laughs> and every other puppet in the Clay. movie has the same face, except right. for the woman he meets. That's like, you know, the object of his desire mm-hmm. or whatever. Oh, that's uh, fucking. And then you so get that. It's so fucking literal. 
Wow. And then you get that really creepy uh, claymation sex scene. It was really uncomfortable. What? So, so yeah. disturbing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, that's oh. what I like about Kaufman. So, you know, like, we, we made the uh, John Malkovich thing about feeling icky. And I was like, that's what I liked about it. Like, I like, ha- like, because, you know, most films are like, oh, it's action porn or it's uh, feel good porn or it's romance porn or it's horror porn. Like, I like. When I get a you watch film. a lot of porn, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>! <laughs> but but like you know, it's like I li- I like when a film will give us an emotion that we normally don't get that isn't distracting us from the everyday life. So that's mm-hmm. what I like about Kaufman, despite his uh, treatment of his female characters. Yeah, I'm not gonna like, say that like Kaufman makes th- just the same movie over and over Coffin. again, but. Uh, <laughs> Because that's, I feel like that's a little reductive of what what it is. But I'm pretty sure it's like, um, like when we worked at the museum, and you'd see uh, who was that one guy who did the highway series, and it was just like 600 paintings of a highway. Uh, uh, that would be Koontz. Koontz. Roger Koontz. Yeah, Roger Koontz. And it was just like, you know, it, it's not that he's just writing the story about a guy who makes the mistakes throughout the entire movie and never does anything redeeming and doing that over and over again for his whole career because he can't do anything else. I think he's looking for the perfect way to tell that story. Uh, mm. And I don't know if he's gotten there yet. I think that's well said. I Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I, I think you're right. I think... Uh, well, I haven't seen Schenectady yet. Uh, well, Schenectady is the name of things. the city in New York, but it's called Schenectady because that's like a literary yep. uh, oh. mechanic. And it, sorry it, to nerd out on that because I, I actually really <laughs> love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd say Eternal Sunshine is that. I feel that's, like Eternal, yeah, Eternal Sunshine, Sunshine is 100% that. It's, it's not about his career, though. It's Eternal Sunshine is about. I didn't say career. Uh, it's his his. Oh, I mis- thought you said career. Sorry, I thought no, no, I thought you said a man like making mistakes in his career. No, he said he's made his career out of trying to tell the same story oh. in a perfect way. Yeah. Oh, I and see. Eternal okay. Sunshine was basically you know another. Sh- it's it's this movie. It's uh, Anomalisa. It's you know the the story with an obvious answer if only the main character wasn't such a fucking dildo you know like. <laughs> right yeah do you, do you guys do you guys mind if I, I steer away from the 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 writing and and the story a bit on and i'm i've been really curious what you guys feeling about Clooney's directing here is because it's strong-handed it's like heavy you, that's it's very heavy. It's like the glove does not fit kind of heavy. Like it's just a big old hand. <laughs> I like, I personally, I really like a heavy handed director. I really like heavily stylized stuff. I'm a big Me Verhoeven too. fan. I'm a big Terry Gilliam fan. I like a movie where if I can watch five seconds of it and I can name that director. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, but I know a lot of people. Especially a lot of critics I listen to, uh, you know, are, you know, kind of critical of that and, and really respond more to like more naturalistic kind of stuff. But where do you guys land on this? Like, cause this is a heavy handed di- director. He is, he is not wasting any time, uh, like managing and finessing every, every single shot. 
Um, I have thoughts, but if Ash, you're, if you want to start it, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I too am like a, a fan of heavy handed directors. Like, like I'm an, I, again, I, I also like, you know, like Wes Anderson. I love, I love being yes. like, yes, I know that this is a Wes Anderson movie or I know within this five is seconds. An, yeah. Or I know this is an Edgar Wright movie. Like those are two of my favorites. Um, and, I liked, honestly, I will say from the point of view of being a director myself, I am very impressed that this is his first film because there are some extremely advanced like camera moves and concepts and visual things that he pulled off that I would not expect to see in a first feature film that I was very impressed with. Like I said, like the split screen effect was very fucking cool. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. a lot of like, just like camera angles and lighting choices and set choices and where people are like positioned in frames that are very interesting uh, and very cool. And it helps to make the film feel like surreal, which I think is really cool. But there were like also really weird choices, like the text that came up that was like, this film is blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what? We didn't need this. You know, like, uh, <laughs> I was, I was in, or like Brett, like what you said, like there's weird color correction choices. Like, I don't know why the so, interview footage is I, so blown out. That or the, yeah, the reds and the Hollywood shots or, mm-hmm. uh, I, th- but that one is a, I, I'm certain if we wanted to go on a hunt uh, about that for the for time facts, period, it's a time period because this mm-hmm. was, uh, this was final cut is new. Remember? Like, <laughs> yes. uh, and digital color grading is new and people really wanted to be like, and they like, what if we just push those the blacks. colors? Yeah. You yeah. know, what if we crush those blacks and the like early 2000s look of for sure. And I get that. Like, I think he was trying to be like, you know, maybe the point of making the documentary interview footage look so extreme and unrealistic was to point out the fact that this dude's real life wasn't realistic like the real footage doesn't look real you know what i mean i don't know yeah well it's I, interesting I got the feeling watching it it was like his attempt to uh especially with the with the uh preface about the cohen brothers uh mm-hmm. that he was trying to emulate all of the cool stuff he had seen recently mm-hmm. uh that <laughs> yeah. was yep, definitely yep. trying to be the cohen brothers fucking like nutso and the butso color grading on oh, oh brother <laughs> Uh, what and is that crazy I don't, I don't know totally agree. agree. Record scratch. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a new that's a new one. That- Case, where's the shirt? Not so in the butt. So, um, but then also like I could not get out of my mind that he just really wanted this movie to be Fight Club, uh, with the way that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Nailed it. The hair, the the leather jacket, the, you know, there's that whole, th- there was a whole part of the movie where it's just like, oh, this is just Tyler Durden, right? Like, this is what we're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. which, but also plays into, you know, th- uh, if you want to talk about the uh, visual dictionary, right? Like we had just recently learned that people dressed like that might not be real, uh, and this is a movie <laughs> that has stories that maybe aren't real. Uh, but you know, like planting yeah, those. Seeds. I mean, some of the some of the costuming choices. I mean, not to go all the way back to the Julia Roberts thing, 
But some of the costuming choices in his later period where he's feeling super confident. I mean, did you guys ever like think about layering this like overall story structure over a like a Scorsese movie? Cause it kind of maps. Mm. Um, well, I think with, Todd, with, you with, said with, it, right? without the humor. <laughs> yeah, and Todd, I think you said that like within 20 minutes of the film, you're like, this is a Scorsese film. Well, yeah, yeah. Humor. By the time, you know, he's, he's, you know, coming out of nowhere on his way up and we already know we're going to see his fall and all it's missing to be a Scorsese movie is like remove all the jokes and add a lot of cocaine. <laughs> Boom. <Yeah>. Scorsese. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I get that. Um, had, let's see one other one other directorial thought I had, uh, and I want to ask. Uh, I mean, anybody it, it, for input, but Ash, because you're you're an actual director. Uh, f- I'm a real boy. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to pass group group judgment because uh, it's a thing I did not like, but I they totally did it on purpose, and I want to know what you thought about that. Like ninety percent of the shots in this movie had one point perspective. It was just straight on like the horizon the horizon was like everything was straight. like straight back uh mm. it, it was like almost like he was trying to do wes anderson stuff but he wasn't framing it all yeah. cute oh, like wes. oh there's no there's no elevation like to this, it. this movie was, was two no di- there was two dimensions in this mm-hmm. movie it was you know yeah. right yeah, you know, yeah yeah i i could see that being an actual because i kind of noticed that too that's what i meant like like the placement and like then the frame like he was definitely going for really flat uh, look, uh, very flat. Um, like the shot in the boardroom down the table yeah. is like very flat. And like, I could see that actually him trying to mimic what these TV sets felt like. You know what I mean? Oh. Like, cause you have the dating show and it's like literally just like a wood flat <laughs> that's been decorated with like hippie flowers behind them and everything back then was shot very flat for tv right like you know you because you had to be you you had a set and you actually had an audience and you had to have the cameras so it was very like home viewers with a tv screen that was only well, eight inches though, wide actually though <laughs> actually though like at uh when he's really cracking up mm-hmm. uh at the end of the movie uh, we do start playing with elevation, don't we? Yes, yeah, a, a bit. It's it's still pretty pretty fl- like not necessarily elevation. You're think like flat is like you see how well this is terrible for the listeners, but see how behind me there's just like a flat wall. <laughs> so flat is desc- very. Like- I will describe what I'm seeing on your camera for the audience. <laughs> a cute dog laying there. Um, yeah. Like like Wes Anderson I is a an very flat. Dog. Uh, <laughs> a flat uh, style where everything is like against a wall and the horizon line is straight and everything it's a, it's versus a peanuts, it's a peanuts cartoon yeah yeah, yeah yeah versus like having depth in a scene yeah absolutely like like full-on uh newspaper comics like yeah. absolutely flat on two dimensions there is no other dimension don't even think about it <laughs> In a world where rooms don't have corners. <laughs> well, like, I, got, right? <laughs> I mean, TV studio, I think, makes more sense. But I remember thinking watching it in a lot of scenes. I got very big, like, play vibes. Like, mm-hmm. stage play. Yeah. Because if you think about it, like, again, TV back then, 
you know, mm-hmm. it was very right. stage play kind of yeah, I, kind of I love, setup. I, I love that insight. I do. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that's, you know, where he was coming from. It's also classically an amateur director thing to do, too. <laughs> and, <laughs> so and it was his first that. time. Well, well, what were you saying yeah. about the end scene? And uh, you were trying to describe Bellevation to us. What, like, what were your thoughts on that end shot? Oh, like the ending when he's sort of like, well, I was thinking falling the, apart. Yeah, yeah. Like it's still kind of flat, right? Like it's just the backdrop is changing on him, right? So mm-hmm. they keep moving in these different backdrops that are like representing different like times of his childhood and life and everything. But like the angle itself is still very flat versus having something where you see depth. So you have like more of an angle and you're seeing like depth into this, the, the background or whatever, everything was like still really flat. It was just changing these backdrops and we were seeing into his childhood kind of thing. Um, which was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like elevation, like as far as like something being high or low or whatever, it's more like, um, you know, there's not a lot of depth in the scene because everything feels like, like a 2d, you know, it can feel like a 2D drawing because yeah, there's no depth. It's thinking about well, like an art school thing. It's it it, mm-hmm. it is the concept of multiple points of perspective where yes, uh, it's yeah. uh, it's hard to describe very quickly. But like, like if you stand in the middle of a road and you look down a road, you have uh-huh. these like vanishing lines, right? So everything comes road, to a point in the distance, going one out single into the point. distance. But a flat shot like what you're seeing behind me right now with just a wall, there's no vanishing lines. It's just, there's just a flat surface behind me. So that's the flat sort of shot. Oh! Mm-hmm. Or static is another, another term for it. Because I really don't understand shots or framing. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a storyboard artist uh, by, or used to be by trade. Uh, I can I can walk Dave through it, but not on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, well, even it's for the square, listener, square you versus know. cube, kind. Of, if you, that's easy enough, right? Like, yeah. Well, <laughs> basically, the <laughs> horizon just, line is parallel with the camera, right? And not yeah. perpendicular. Oh. Not perpendicular. So whenever like it changes to intersect with the camera then you get more depth. But yeah, this movie had a lot of those long hallway shots or like when they're out in the mm-hmm. streets in Berlin and it he's going to murder the dude but it's just like straight down the street and straight mm-hmm. down uh-huh. the boardroom and uh but it wasn't s- super consistent because there were shots with different angles uh so that's it it was jarring whenever there was something different. See, uh, I don't know. I I I still think I'm onto something where when he's seriously cracking up on stage I think that's that's the first and only time that the camera is placed uh, very highly above him. You know, mm-hmm. uh that that it's it's looking down like for the first time uh we get some shots where the camera is looking down on him instead of just seeing what he sees. Right. You know, oh, a, I see on, what you're saying. So you're talking plane. more about perspective. The part, uh, you know, the part where he starts going nuts and, yeah, and yeah. says like I see you, I see you up there up there mm-hmm. you know judging me blah 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 you know <laughs> yeah um yeah I it's think, like the full film has been shot is at his eye level because right we are, except for that part right because we are we are on the same page as him he is we believe in him and then as he's starting to lose his sanity then we're not at his eye level like you said and, and we're literally looking down upon him yeah just like his mother 
in, you know, is in the black mm-hmm. and white footage looking down on the small child. Cause, you know, that, that's the, like the metaphor that they're making for sure. Oh, they- oh, can we go there too? Like I could, <laughs> I could have done without that. Yeah, that was problematic. It was just inserted in and, like, not woven into the story at all. And it, like, felt like an afterthought. The whole thing, everything about his backstory, about, like, his childhood that was fucked up, that was not in the book. That was Coffin. Oh, interesting. I literally said that. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's most likely that, like, uh, the Kaufman version of the film was going to be like, you know, 90% staring down into the cradle <laughs> and singing happy birthday with a creepy veil over yourself. And then flash forward, you're in a cheap hotel asking a prostitute to pretend that you're there, your mommy. I do. I will say, though, I do feel like that was weaved into the story, though, because they talked about they talked about how he killed his twin that was supposed to be a girl. But that it was, it was all of that info information. All of those things were presented to us at the same time in the same scene and never mentioned again. I mean, it wasn't the same scene because it was it, mentioned it was in, in the pool scene, and then we right. cut to the him going yeah. crazy yeah. scene, and then we saw the birthday but scene. But the pool scene so it was yeah. way over halfway through the movie, so it's not definitely. Like, yeah, it wasn't like set up. Yeah. yeah, I did. Well, I did appreciate that the uh, the weird prostitute part of it was given to us before and then you know we had to wait like another 25 minutes to say like you know to figure out like what the fuck was that about uh, Wait, I what would not, I, I don't even remember this he hired a prostitute to sing happy birthday for him with the veil and I then later was we, penny no it was no, no, no it wasn't was it was a oh. prostitute they immediately, okay. right after that, they immediately flash to Penny. But no, it's 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 definitely a prostitute. Oh, um, but yeah, you know that he hired to like act out. You know that's why she says, uh, you know, did I do it right? And then they immediately <laughs> flash to Penny. We have no idea what the fuck was that. Uh, it's only yeah, twenty weird. minutes later that we see, uh, you know, his flashbacks with his mother enacting that oh. ritual so it was towards the end i don't I like blocked i don't even remember that yeah. it's just it's a whole problematic thing like i don't know if you guys uh you guys like Lindsay ellis you ever watch those videos uh they she did one recently that was like completely debunking the ed gein uh like mommy issues serial killer thing uh and it's just like it's be if wholly invented that you know the the mommy issues gender confusion thing it leads to serial killers uh, and it it was invented for uh like shock media psycho. and newspapers and wasn't psycho. it psycho it wasn't yeah. even psycho though it was like oh. the, it was psycho got it from apparently a newspaper who wrote just made it up uh, about these murders uh, before there was any investigation done. It was like the next day newspaper of like, we found all these murders mm-hmm. and it turns out Ed Gein's uh, like a sexual weirdo. And like, but it, you know, those a weren't based on any facts. Weirdo. <laughs> uh, but n- <laughs> listeners go check out the, uh, the Lindsay Ellis thing on, uh, on was it? it was basically, it was there. It, it was the, the thesis of her video was that they use, transphobia as a murder as a motive for being a murder yeah but they bring this up a lot in mind hunter i don't know if you've watched the uh, 
the the uh even Ed Kemper had those same issues. I mean, it's not it's not like a always type of thing. It, it's just frequent. Okay, well, I don't I don't I don't know about the mother gender identity thing and and I haven't looked into it for a long time, but the last time I checked, which was a long time ago, uh if you if you do look at serial killers, you can you can always find sexual repression is part of their um you know, their their profile. I forgot where we're at with this because we had so we're many talking about George conversations Clooney's going directing. at once. Well, my short my short answer to that question is honestly, it depends. Like, it depends. I think it's like um, a sauce you'd put on food. If I like the sauce, fucking slather that on, baby. Um, if I don't like the sauce, no, thank you. It, it's like for me, if it's a director whose aesthetic I like, yes, please drench your movie in that aesthetic that I like. Like, so I like like Ashley. Like, I like Wes Anderson. Um, Taika Waititi is my favorite director, but I feel like he doesn't have a strong. I mean, he's got like a strong hand he, that he, he a, everything he does is good, but it's not. Yeah. It's not quite as. It's not a he, visual style. Versatile. It's a ri- written style. I would say. Thank yeah, you. Exactly. But, That's exactly. But the what visual I style, say. like I said, if if I if I like it, or or like yeah, Edgar Wright, like the Cornetto trilogy, like with Simon Pegg, like that. There's there is a very strong visual style to those. So again, if it's something that I like. And I'm trying to think, I feel like I should juxtapose this with one that I don't like, and I'm kind of coming up empty. I, I feel like I'm either ambivalent or I like well, it. Scorsese. Uh, do, do, Scorsese's do you like Verhoeven or Scorsese or, uh, um, uh, God damn it, Reservoir Dogs guy, Quentin. 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 I'm like, meh. I'm like, I like, I like some of the movies they do. I don't, you know, there's certain things. Um, like another one I like, I, I like like uh, Guy Ritchie's style. Like I, I recently tweeted, I guess. Oh some, uh, yeah, oh yeah. I watched. I recently watched that King Arthur movie he did that didn't wasn't greatly received, and I, I liked it. I thought that. it was super fucking fun. Wait, I forgot he did that. <laughs> he I yes, didn't it's know on. This. Usually, I, I I recommend it. It's literally like if Snatch was King Arthur movie was a fantasy King Arthur. Wait, movie. is that the <laughs> one? Oh, sign with, me up. Sign me up. With I'm Keira downloading Knightley? now. No, that was a different one. No, I it's think. Charlie oh, Hunnam. Okay. Yeah, Charlie Hunnam, uh, the guy who's in Sons of Anarchy, and um, oh, this is lots a of people. Jude Law's in right? it. Eric Bana's in it. Um, oh, okay. Oh, wow. Jaimon Hansu's in it. Um, but this film. <laughs> no, sorry. No, but, but yeah, this film. I enjoyed it, and I kind of want to have a discussion because I feel like we've gotten super like deep and like psychoanalyzing and like the very like ethereal of it as a straightforward spy like thriller. Was it enjoyable? Do we like it? This question is a final wrap-up question, Pat. Are we going there? I mean, I'm okay yeah. with that. Unless, like, Unless. Dave or anyone, it, raise your hands if you had any burning questions well, I, you need I have, to talk I have, about before I, we land this plane. I have really one, and this plays into what Pat's saying. This is a spy thriller. Uh, Todd and I kind of had a difference of opinion on targeting, so we could... I, I I wanted to talk about that okay, at the beginning. Yeah, of, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, real quick, just real quick, mm-hmm. real quick. Uh, so um, uh, George Clooney, you know, like when you're targeting assets, you know, uh, like you're looking for a specific profile, and this plays into what we've just been talking about profiling. Um, like Todd said, he didn't really feel the profile at the beginning. Um, I, I kind of saw it. It just wasn't executed well in the film, just from spy films that we've watched, you know, but, you know, 
And please jump in, anybody, on this. What do you mean um, by profile? No, that's all right. That's all right. This is I'm a this really is sure. a pure spy geek thing. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> like like this is the kind of thing we talk more about on our show than maybe on yours. But uh, I would I would say uh, the targeting of I mean, because you know we go through a lot of spy movies, and you know the recruitment process is is kind of important to us, like. Who do you like maybe recruit, bring into oh, the fold okay. as an asset? Mm-hmm. Um, I did not see any good reason for George Clooney's character to uh, l- latch on to this person. 100%. Agree. At the beginning, 100%. I give it minus what we would call it is minus five points on our show. <laughs> but David yeah. has a slightly different opinion. Okay. Um, uh, I don't think it was executed well, so I'm on Todd's side. But like thinking of, and this goes back to like what we've discussed as far as writing and like what you know, you know, the the character is like this super absorbed, self absorbed, like you know, just I'm moving on my impulse type of thing, you know. Uh, and especially when we get more information on his file later on. I think he was well targeted, um, but we didn't actually get to watch the recruitment process. So that's kind of why I'm on Todd's side. But I, I, I really want to discuss that because that's really the whole story is this mm-hmm. character. And this is, I'm, I'm really trying to play on Pat here that this is a spy thriller, like a straightforward spy thriller. There's a guy that is into himself that is just trying to get a lot of attention I'm going to show up and be like, hey, why don't you kill people for money? I know you don't want the money, but we're still going to pay you. You're going to love it. you know. And I think based on that character's profile, quote unquote, you know, and again, we didn't get a lot of it, but um, I, I think it was a good target. Uh, but, um, but, the, I, but the CIA had no reason to know he was a good target. Well, okay. Well, so, like, killed his unborn twin. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just kidding. Well, and I think it's it's not so much the uh, he because he wasn't. I mean, he was self absorbed, but it was more than that. And like the theme that they got real writery into throughout the movie was less self absorption and more just the uh, the need to be special. Because that's why mm-hmm. it wasn't right. about the money. It was like my life sucks, that's what and the like whole, I can be a spy the need now. To be special, I'll kill anyone you want. Uh, yeah, the need the need to be special is what the whole movie is about, and yeah. and 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 how it becomes toxic to his uh, relationships and to his own personality. Well, Pat, the need to be special ahead. and the willingness and the capability to do whatever it takes to get there like lying and say you putting the head the ceo of the fucking studio as your reference for your management training application uh, <laughs> right. like, yeah uh but yeah you guys are right like th- it, the approach was a little weak like george clooney's just like you look like you'd kill someone for my approval and also i like the way you <laughs> masturbate son <Yeah>. like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's because also yeah. I heard your dick tastes like strawberry. <laughs> yeah. That's because the whole spy thing is imaginatory, and like yep. even at the it really at, is at the it really end, is. Uh, Julia Roberts' character it literally says it. Like it, sh- it's her line. 
She says, like, men never imagine that they're the guy next door, the insurance broker. They always imagine they're fantastical things. Like, it's literally spelled out in the directing that this is all an alternate reality and not (laughs) actually happening because he's just living in his own mind, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you think – so do you you think um, that this is a Kate, like, a total recall or an American psycho – Kind of situation? Uh, uh, Maybe American Psycho. It kind of feels like, you know, the movie A Beautiful Mind? Yes. It Mm. feels a little bit like he was trying to do that. But instead of being, like, really smart with numbers and shit, he just makes up game shows? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I do not like the Total Recall reference there. Arnold did all those things. He saved Mars. That is... Stop it. it is although, not I, although, although I guess both of those Don't he, you dare besmirch him. This guy yeah. this guy and <laughs> Beautiful Mind theory. were both working on game theory, right? Yeah. Remember, you know, at the end of the day. Oh sure. Brett, go away. Pat, I'm People sorry. You You're canceled, and Brett. Did I mention go in the Arn- court. Arnold Schwarzenegger was a, a a candidate on the dating game. I don't I don't remember if we caught that on the recording. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. He was. He was, yeah. and it was, like, really awkward or funny and weird because he didn't get a lot of, uh, like, terms. Like, he didn't understand what fooling around was or something. Aww, like That's adorable, <laughs> Also, Michael Jackson. <laughs> wow. Wow. Goodness. candidate Crazy. on the dating Is game. Is this, like, before they were famous or, like, I think they newly were famous, famous, I think. Or, newly yeah. Fam- okay. Bachelor number one, if I took you out on a date, what would we do? And he's like... I would uh, eliminate all your enemies and <laughs> crush your children and listen to the lamentations of your women. <laughs> yeah, that's what's best in life. Um, but uh, just want to throw out a fun thing. I thought kind of a weird, dark Easter egg joke. Uh, when he's doing his CIA training and there's a rover oh. shot scan across of some... Ba- there's two trainees there with the last names Ruby and Oswald. And then when he leaves, he says, bye Jack, as in Jack Ruby. Oh, bye no. Lee, as in Lee Harvey Oswald. Wow. No. Oh. Nice catch. That's Ugh. funny. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> but isn't, that's like, <laughs> that's like the leading alt theory though, right? Yeah. Like it's the most exact, likely thing to be true. That's why I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. Okay, Pat, so let's. Where, where are we going? Let's land this plane. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts, because this baby's gonna wake up. Yes, <laughs> land it now, or we crash and die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to hear what he has to say. First movie. What'd you think, bud? <laughs> he fell asleep. I can't oh. get him to respond. Oh, oh is <gasps> this, no! Is this baby's first recording? Yeah. It is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he loves it. He loves the movie. He thought and, he thought that it, the directing was a little over over handed, <laughs> uh, but he liked the performances. <laughs> the deep and, version and, of heavy handed, and, <laughs> and he wants to know who this Rutger Hauer is. <laughs> he wants to know more. Okay, Rutger Hauer was like the best part of this movie. <laughs> yeah. He was good. He was good. I I was I was dissatisfied in how much like he actually showed up because my expectations from my like memories were like you know oh my god. We get to see, you know, older, mature Rucker Hauer do some shit. Uh, but yeah, I I liked what he brought. Uh, it I just I 
in my mind, there was more of it. And I was a little mm. disappointed yeah. uh, when I watched it just now. All right, Sam, go for it. Um, yeah, didn't care for this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what about as a spy, as a spy movie and then get into your overall? <laughs> I didn't feel like it was very spy. There was no like cool intrigue, no like tracking down people the most spy thing was trying to find out who the mole was and they didn't even make it a plot point it just kind of reveals itself at the end um and there's right. only- or the microfilm up the ass <laughs> oh yeah that, that sure yes great let's make the only spy thing some weird sexual reference thanks charlie kaufman um okay and then did you like did you like the end scene though with julia roberts with the with with the the lazy susan but that was like the only spy thing and like swapping the tea is like okay cool but like i i wouldn't if you if that if I didn't know we were doing it because it was a spy film, I would never categorize this as a spy film in my mind. Um, it's it's certainly mm-hmm. weird, but that right. could just be because, like, I decided in my own mind at the end that the spy stuff was made up. So, therefore, it's not about him actually being a spy. So, I mean, that's that's my take on it being a spy movie. As a movie overall, the directing was heavy-handed, but I agree with Ash. Like, it's pretty good for his first directorial debut. Um, I typically really like George Clooney. Um, I can't—he didn't direct Descendants, right? Or did he? I don't know. I think it was the Dean from Community, but I want to say he Oh, he wrote that. He wrote it, though. Jim Rash uh, wrote yeah, it. Jim okay. Rash then, wrote it. I don't and then know did if George he... Oh my god, I did not know that. Yeah. Yep. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Well, if I <laughs> Holy shit. I think George Thank Clooney you for directed that. it. No, that but... just made my evening. <laughs> uh, so uh-huh. I know he like grew as a director. So it's cool to see where he started. Um, but I just I don't care for the story. Um, I don't care for the woe is me privileged white male succeeding yeah. in Hollywood. My life, boohoo! I'm still so sad. Like, okay, the fucking wank off, please. Uh, <laughs> he didn't direct and, it, by the way. Okay, I just looked it up. Yeah, Alexander the movie ended. Did. Gotcha. Okay. The movie ended, and Sam's no word review was uh. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the jerk off motion for yeah. those listening. Yeah, uh, I yeah. Just, <laughs> maybe I'm cranky because I haven't slept in three weeks. But uh, my opinion oh. is is if you as a person only write women this way, which is that they are only there to have sex with the men or be sexy, that that's all you think of women. Because if you thought they were more, you would write them as people. And so, therefore, I am not a fan of you, Kaufman. And, like, I just don't relate to the character. Um, and I, I don't know. Which one? The sexy spy or the ditzy Well, you should blonde? not relate bet- to the character at all. Also, I mean, he's not like if you relate, little. If you relate yeah. to the character, the, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> right? Well, but there's supposed to be some sort of, like, appeal, you know, to the character. And I find nothing appealing. And not even, like... Sometimes, you know, they uh, directors will write bad characters and you just like to watch them be punished because they're bad people. 
And it's not even Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even that type of story, you know? Like he's never really punished for being a bad person. He just exists as a bad person and there's nothing redeeming about his character. Because obviously, yeah, we all hated the main character in this movie. But I'm thinking about the uh Anomalisa, Char- Charlie Kaufman's I think second most recent thing. Uh mm-hmm. and the split down the middle of that one was uh the praise almost all of it universally was from people going like this is an accurate depiction of life these are real people with real feelings and uh <laughs> and which i think is the point that he's trying to make when he's writing these terrible stories about about terrible people is he's trying to write them in a way that you will empathize with the person before realizing everything they're doing is wrong and then you realize everything that you're doing is wrong (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like he's trying to write a parable or something but uh hasn't quite landed it yet and this was like way earlier and it this is like you know the the proto you know using someone else's material to try and write you know write his morals into it uh but well, that is how I gotcha. feel about this movie is that it didn't land uh, moral wise for sure. Um, but uh, did I like it? Not really. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, sorry. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just, I think it's also in a genre of f- films and podcasts and other things in general that i've been actively trying to avoid in my uh personal enjoyment stuff which is uh bad people doing bad things that we're entertained by you know like uh i don't know i thought like kanye (laughs) Jackass. (laughs) uh i'm thinking like you know uh the 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 genre of like murder podcasts where it's like uh, you know, I just don't like it. <laughs> I don't want to. Like, someone really died so we could be entertained about this, and I'm not about it. Like, I'm not. I'm not learning. I'm not learning anything about like you know my life or useful knowledge from knowing how people were murdered. Uh, and I kind of feel like God. If that's what this is, if it's a true story, like, what is that? What am I supposed to feel about that? You know. So, just right. on a personal yeah. level, I don't really like that. Yeah. See, I feel like it's interesting that you say, like, the moral – I think if you have to look at this movie from the perspective of the spy shit is not real. And and most of his interactions with women I don't think are real either, except for when he's actually, like, grossing them out. And yeah. they're like, why did you whip out your dick in the middle of a fucking movie totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to ask, like, that interaction with the woman in the grotto – uh, did you believe that that was real? I did not for a second. I Which thought one? that was his own psyche. The woman who the woman that out. swims up and, you and says, gonna, like, you are a him? fucking absolute oh. piece of shit. You are destroying humanity. Like, I didn't believe oh, for a goddamn no, I don't second think that, was that she real was either. real. Because yeah. here's the thing. I think the moral of the film or the point of the film was to point out that this guy wants to be special and important so bad, but he actually isn't. And that he hasn't even come close. Because at the very end, you know, it's that line of, I have an idea for another show. We'll have three older men on and a gun in front of them. And we'll have them talk about, you know, 
their lives and talk about how close they came to achieving their dreams. And whoever doesn't blow their brains out is the winner. And that's the actual guy on screen. That's the guy that this movie is about. And so I think that that was the point of the film. The point of the film was he wants to be that, but he he's not. And he hasn't right. come anywhere close to to achieving his actual dreams right. in sort of a Gatsby sense because he's alone and he hasn't actually like achieved real love in his life. And also like a career sense because even though he created these game shows, he's also very like hated for it. And I think that that also like affects him. And that's what that swim up scene's all about. He just wants to be loved at the root of it. And that's like all the weird mother stuff and whatever. And at the end of the day, he's not and he never achieved it you know but yeah. he rejects the only person that truly loves him i mean because i don't think she's, she's real. real yeah <laughs> i don't think she's real yeah i think that's why he rejects her because she's not actually physically a human and, and the way you know that the grotto scene wasn't even though real. even though drew barrymore national treasure <laughs> Uh, the, the way that you know that the grotto scene wasn't real also is if you've ever been to a Hollywood party, uh, no one's in the pool. They're all just thirsty for networking. Especially <laughs> naked. <laughs> I will argue that was the Playboy Mansion, and I bet you people are in the pool of the Playboy Mansion. That was the Playboy Mansion? How do you yep, know they that? Were Playboy because there were Playboy bunnies standing around the pool that weren't in the pool. They were wearing the bunny outfit. See, even the bunnies what? are just there to network. <laughs> Listen, those girls hustle, man. <laughs> no, that's a different magazine. <laughs> anyway, I, long story short, my wrap up is if you look at this movie from the perspective that everyone is fake and it's and he's delusional and he's creating this delusion, you know, um I think it it could have been a very good movie because it could have been very cerebral and interesting. And uh, it just never really. And I think, you know, because maybe because, you know, uh, they didn't want to say one way or another. I think that that's the fault of the film is at the end of the day, it doesn't really make like a super clear statement that it is all in his head. Like, you know, you don't watch Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind and go like, what's in his head and what's not? Like, you get what's in his head and what's not, you know? Uh, so I think that that was, and that, that I'm assuming since Charlie Kaufman doesn't like this movie, I'm assuming that was changes that George Clooney made that then made that unclear and really blurred the lines because uh, I think if it was a little more clear that it was cerebral and at the end the reveal was like yeah this is all in his head and it was a little more like concrete I think it could have been a good movie but because then then at the end of the day it's like yeah all these women that we've treated so fucking poorly through the whole movie yeah they're not real because this psychopath this is the psychopath's vision of what a woman should be you know that would have made that okay but we never we never quite landed that and so and so it's to me it's not a great film though there's some really really interesting directorial choices the lighting we didn't even really talk about the lighting the lighting is fucking beautiful in this movie and the, um, you know, the cinematography is great and the set pieces are pretty great too. 
But I just think there was some directorial choices and writing choices that are just, like we said before, icky. (laughs) 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 So that's my review. Icky. I, I I would I would like to I would like to jump in and, and follow up on Ash. Um you know, over directed, it's probably true. Like uh like you know, a, a better film might have been a little calmer, a little like throttle it down a little bit. Um the you know, the themes of his uh inability to get laid and then suddenly we halfway through the movie he's got an explosion of pussy opportunities uh that he manages terribly are i think like um uh what 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 the film in a large part is is trying to talk about you know like uh you know going from i don't know it's not it's not from zero to hero it's from it's from in effect it, it's from you know he passes through like this singularity point of being unnoticeable to becoming like a superstar and and just absolutely like trashes his whole fucking life around it if if there's anything valid about this film i i think that's it uh i'll 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 i i i mentioned this you know before like i i i've seen it i liked it i'm glad i saw it but uh i don't need to see it again i definitely don't need to put it on my shelf (laughs) (laughs) no definitely not it was just weird because there are a lot of things i liked like elements to it it's almost like baking a cake, and I'm, I love eggs, and I love sugar, and like like Sam Rockwell is uh, very talented, and he <laughs> he started off right at the beginning. His dancing, dude loves to dance. He's great at it. Dances every fucking movie he's in. He dances. <laughs> um, he's charming. There were moments. There were moments I really liked. Like I really liked the George Clooney pool scene. I liked the end scene with Julia Roberts. I, I liked the. I liked that scene a lot. Um, but then just but then. There'd be like little tiny tidbits here, and like, oh, I kind of like that, and then just it—it's like the cake came out of the oven and just didn't hold together. It just kind of fell apart. The like, like, like caved. Just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel um, you. I feel you. Keep keep it rolling. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, man, it's like this could have been. I kind of see what you're going, and then I think a lot of it. I'm trying to think if I want if I wanted more ambiguity if it's real or not because the problem Ash the one problem with making it clear is we don't know because this is based on a book that is presented as fact that these mm-hmm. things happened. So that doesn't mean as a filmmaker you can't make a definite statement though. True, but then you basically you're calling out the person who wrote your book is like, what a fucking wacko, huh? Can you believe this guy right here? Like, right. Like, so, uh, so maybe, so maybe that was a wrong decision on Clooney's yeah. part to uh, not uh, decide for himself. Yeah, uh, you know, I think as a filmmaker, maybe, you maybe have that to have was a, point a wrong decision on a, as a filmmaker. I, I yeah. mentioned it before as a strong decision. It's a brave decision. But um, maybe it didn't pay out for Pat or for <laughs> yeah, it's some just, of you uh, other guys. I don't know. It was just kind of meh for me. Like, yeah, my review, meh. 
having, having seen what we got and having made that comment at the beginning about like it was cool that he didn't make a choice i, I take it back at this point I, yeah I'm, I'm totally on team yeah ash you, you hit the nail on the head there director should have a viewpoint yeah i'm gonna counter and say i think it would have been cooler to make it where the director made the viewpoint that it really did happen, but nobody believes him. They're like, ha, 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 so funny. And then he just, just like gives up trying to convince people. I was like, fuck. Very different movie. Well, that's a good... But, yeah, I mean, I think we get that a little bit with the, you know, in the in the yeah, car. Yeah, laughing they're... after their wedding. Yeah. All right. I agree with everything everybody said. Like, I, I, I I'm really happy they... Uh, y'all led us on this podcast because every single one of you had really good insights um, and everything that was said was like spot on for me re-watching this, especially being older and understanding storytelling better now than when I first saw it. Uh, the, the one thing I do want to say to just convince people to watch it is that it's hilarious and then it gets dark and uh, I mentioned uh, dark humor, like in you know the first part. Like, um, I really, really enjoy like moments where it's like, ha ha ha! Holy shit, this is not fucking funny. You know what I mean? Like, and there's a lot of moments that happen in this story that were like this, not story, like this this experience or ride we're going through. Ha ha ha! Oh. This is not oh, oh, all of a sudden, I, I feel I all. feel ashamed. I feel ashamed of myself for laughing. Right. And, yeah. and, and like, this goes back to the icky, you know, feelings when we were talking about John Malkin. Like, I, I really enjoy getting something away from, you know, the, the norm where we're actually allowed to feel things that we're told we're not allowed to feel, you know. But everybody, I on this uh podcast said everything straight on point i I agree with everything everybody said Uh, i just wanted to point that out as far as like my experience again watching it and yeah thanks thanks for having us on and i mean you know films should be a cathartic experience and while i do personally enjoy a positive cathartic experience it doesn't mean that it's wrong to have a different sort of cathartic experience. So it is, right. you know, it is interesting when you have filmmakers that do that really well, that can can be like, hey, this is an icky feeling and you might not like it, but it is a feeling. Yeah. And, right. you know, it is a feeling that maybe you push away and maybe we should live in it for a second and explore it. Uh, that can be totally interesting. You know, like, I think Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind does that really well, where it's like, here's a really fucking painful breakup, and let's live in that, even though you mm-hmm. probably don't want right. to, you know? I mean, I, 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 can name, I can name a few films uh, that I'm, I'm glad that I watched, but I never want to see again. Yeah, yeah totally, <laughs> totally, totally. We've had a few on this show, I think. Uh. What was <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, it was like, like, oh, go ahead. Oh, Sorry. I was gonna say, like, Schindler's List, like, you're not supposed to, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say enjoy it, but like, it's what Ash said, you know, it's supposed to elicit a specific <laughs> feeling that's not pleasant, but it's, yeah, it's in a cathartic experience. And then, like, Blanking on the name of the movie, but the one that was about World War One and the two guys that go through it. Empire of the Sun? Oh, no, no. 
Uh, uh, more recent, like just came out no, last it's, year. No, uh, it's oh, much, seven, much more recent. 1917? Yes. Yeah. Seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Some like, number. Like that movie is, <laughs> it's really good, but it's not like a pleasant feeling that you get from it. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, know how that. to follow up Schindler's list, but I, I did <laughs> want to talk about Magnolia. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's that that's one of my favorite films that I always revisit. You know, it's definitely on like my top lists and it's just a fucking sad experience. It's not fun at all. Mm. And 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 even just like if you want to look at it from a filmmaking perspective, there's so much that you can pull from. Or like if you want to like do an actor study, like it's but it's just not fun. But yeah, it's hard to follow up Schindler's List because that that Schindler's List is the best example. Sam, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just like you are not supposed to be happy. Like you were <laughs> supposed to like hate your life. Like yeah. fucking like yeah. cut your wrist or some shit. Like shit is fucked up. You know, like yeah, so th- thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, Magnolia is a great example as well. Like that movie, mm. I watched it one time and it's still haunts me the way it made me feel so yeah i i I would say uh bad lieutenant leaving las vegas and uh what was that uh movie with uh connelly and um the 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 one where requiem for a dream yeah i hate that exactly exact like that's my reaction (laughs) as well like mm-hmm. happy I saw it. Don't ever fucking show that movie to me again, ever, please. <laughs> yes. I don't. I don't. I don't need that shit in my dreams. Yes. Well. Oh, we must end the show because it's one yes. a.m. over where Pat is. Uh, so uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. That was a Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, fellas. You want to let the listeners know where they can find you. You can find us on any podcast app by searching Spies Like Us podcast or just go to our website, spieslikeus.net. And thank you so much for having us on the show. Thank you. I mean, this was super fun. Like, uh, just, I mean, we we like talking about movies and and you guys are like way fucking fun to talk (laughs) about movies with. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for coming. Ash, engage the audience. Yes, uh, you can also follow us. We're on Twitter at Let's Rewatch, where we do fun things like movie polls, where you guys get to choose the movie. Or if uh, if we or the guests uh, decide to choose the movie, I do fun things like tweeting a screenshot from the movie. And guys, this one was too hard. <laughs> I even gave a second screenshot to make it easier, and nobody guessed it. So you don't I'm think so the, sorry. Uh, the worldwide gross of only 30 million it was a hint yeah, that maybe right? people I hadn't guess, seen it. But <laughs> I guess that's why. Just put I'm George so Clooney on screen, Ash. Just put him up there. I put Drew Barrymore, man. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> but I guess it's she's like silhouetted. It's like when she's at the door. Like knocking on the door, trying to get him to open it, mm. and so like oh, it's her yeah. silhouette. So maybe you know you don't necessarily know it's her, but I didn't want to. I try to be tricky. And you didn't I do Rockwell butt. Oh, that would have good. Yeah, God. man. If we yeah. had more time, I would love to talk about Clooney's obsession to talk with about his that butt. fucking butt, man. That, yeah. yeah, it's not a bad two butt. hours of Rockwell butt. <laughs> 
Uh, so if you liked our podcast more than we liked this movie, please give us a five star <laughs> review on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. We love your feedback. If you give us a review, we'll read it. And please tell your friends. Thank you. And we're just not reading the two new reviews we got today because it's too late. Oh, we got two yeah. today. Aww. We'll do it next, next time. time. We'll get you. Next we time. We love you. Thank you. Um, we are part of the certainpov.com network of shows. And usually I rattle off a bunch of shows, but we've been doing this thing, uh, at the network for like o- over a year. And it's, and this is the best way. Go to certainpov.com. Every week, uh, one of the hosts of a show on the network reads off like super fast descriptions of, we make these little videos of the new episodes of the shows that came out on the network that week. And that's a really cool way in just like two minutes to see. If there's a show that looks cool and you want to check it out. So just go to certainpov.com and, and watch that video and you can see some of the new content that's get out. And every week we do a new one. Right on. I actually have to record one. Bum, 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 You're up. Because I was supposed to record the, it today. The, the chore wheel fell on it's you. It's my turn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Join us next time when we watch a great movie from the 70s. Mafia versus Ninja. Ooh, oh my God. What could go wrong? CPOV. CertainPOV.com.